sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride is Will the Thrill. Giggity. And our storyteller, TJ2, the deuce. Howdy, partner. <laughs> well, 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 our brother's gone west. And, so... and somewhere we have a second hillbilly. We're looking for them. <laughs> yep. If we, you have... yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about the whole uh, giggling hillbilly thing. That um that whoever the reviewer was posted, you know, look, uh, I don't. I'm not trying to be difficult or anything. Just in the uh, for the sake of accuracy, I don't live in hill country and I'm not from the mountains. So technically, bumpkin would be more applicable than hillbilly. So we got a, a hillbilly and a bumpkin. Yes, I, so I guess so, so there's there's a magical hillbilly that none of us have met. Maybe it's like a leprechaun or something. Now see, the both of the like personal hit reviews. That that of it have been very that that we have gotten have been very ambiguous. It's like I love the content, but the girl giggles like a high school child or something the, like the that. One, they, well, they, specifically, they say that one girl, and I'm like, well, there's only one, unless you're mistaking me for a girl, which is or, quite or a mistake talking, to make. Or they're talking about PJ one. Maybe they could have been listening to it all the time. over a year, but they could be starting at the beginning of the catalog. But like, they could have found just just found it or something. But yeah. But anyway, <laughs> hey, we always welcome your feedback, and we'll probably make a running joke out of it if if you say something ugly about us. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm putting it on a t-shirt. <laughs> the 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 hillbilly bumpkin extravaganza goes yes. on. Yes, yes. Here comes the the giggling hillbilly hayride. Gambery. <laughs> oh, Rama. Yeehaw. Was you a fandango? I, I'm perhaps a fandango. That, that was a good fandango. one. Yeah. All right. So uh, nothing of consequence has happened in the last times since we have recorded this podcast. We certainly didn't attempt to overthrow the government and uh, everything is fine, right? Yep. Yep. 2021 is pretty much looking at 2020 and saying, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't a virus killing people by the tens of thousands every day. So. A, a guy that looked like the living embodiment of a centaur or what actually happens when your mother has sex with a goat uh, didn't try to take over the Speaker of the House's place in the uh, in the house. So we're fine. We're fine. Pretty sure that's good. Pretty sure that's already the leader in the clubhouse for most popular Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah. I, that's pretty because that's pretty much what I'm going to wear. <laughs> I mean, party I mean, taking those things out. It's not much of a reach for me. That's how I dress every weekend, anyway. So yeah, um, but you need to get bigger horns. Your horns are really small. Like, yes, larger horns are, are a must. Much larger. Um, okay, so we are. Th- this is our final episode. It's hard to believe that this is going to be part four of Eddie Van Halen because it, it feels like we've 
as, as much as we've talked about him and all the music we played, it feels like we've just barely scratched the surface, oddly, to me. But when you have a career that long, I mean, from the 70s up until he passed in 2020, I mean... Yeah, un unedited, This these episodes run about, I'm going to say, maybe 10 to 11 hours. And yet... <laughs> I mean, I wish I was kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, you know, but it, it's true. We had, the first time we ever tackled something like this was when I did my month of Mercury, where I had four or five episodes on Freddy. And I feel like there's so much stuff you have to leave out. There are these it's, mental moments. What you leave out is as important as what you, you, you include. And I mean, luckily my pay the bills job, I'm, I'm using air quotes because I can barely pay those bills with what I make, but is that I'm a newspaper editor and those skills have come in handy because I had so much stuff that it's like, I can't, I, I, if we could do a 10 part episode, three hours a piece and, and yeah. I could fill them up if, 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 if we just wanted to do that. But yeah, T, there are people that do just podcast on specific artists. Oh yeah. I've, I've seen a couple. Okay. I think there's a couple on the Pantheon network and you know, I'm, I'm sure yeah. they're awesome. It, it's, it's weird because I almost feel like I've lived with this topic because yeah. I've so absorbed myself in listening to the music and watching interviews. And I, I, I found stuff, I, I, the final script for t today's episode, I, I finished writing several days ago. I found stuff this morning to add to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, because oddly, once you start searching for something a lot on your phone, then every website you go to, it says, hey, buddy, we uh, somehow we magically know that you uh, like Van Halen. And here's a story you might want to click on. Do you want <laughs> a Van Halen t-shirt? A <laughs> little creepy, but um, okay. So, it, but anyway, it's, it, it does feel like I've almost lived with this topic for, for, about the last month so we're, we're gonna this, this is gonna be our conclusion it's part four we've followed his the humble beginnings of the van halen family in amsterdam as they immigrated to america his rise to being one of the biggest rock stars in in the world uh and one of the most lauded musicians ever and then you know there was the clap and some cocaine and a tank and valerie bertinelli <laughs> all kind of, and valerie bertinelli and a lot of like really like eighth grade drama stuff that was weird the wall penis wall penis yes wall penis yeah wall penis and stuff they changed their lead singer i mean and they're and they're about to do it again as we start uh, part four and wrap up our month on eddie van halen all right well let's get into it so i suppose without further ado it was september 4th 1996 the annual mtv video music awards were about to hand out the trophy for best male video, host Dennis Miller announced, quote, our next presenters may well represent three quarters of one of the greatest rock and roll bands ever. Having survived the rock and roll equivalent of the Dick York, Dick Sargent debacle, Chachi. Wow. Was that a, was that a bad Dennis Miller? I felt bad. It was bad. It was okay. bad. I still understood it. I mean, but. Here is Van Halen. <laughs> but who can really do a really good Dennis Miller impersonation and then why? I'm going to go with Dennis Miller. <laughs> Probably Dennis Miller. Dana Carvey could do a really good one back in the day. He may not care enough to do one now. Does anybody like uh, listening to this podcast even remember Dennis Miller? Or is it just us three? And like somewhere, Dennis Miller's like, someone's talking about me. Well, that's oh. the joke we always make that look at it, Dennis. Look at my butt. <laughs> well, look at my butt. It's a perfect circle. I'm just NASA uses it to calibrate their instruments. <laughs> but anyway, he basically said, here's Van Halen, Eddie, Alex, and Michael walked out onto the stage and after a slight lag out of the darkness strode david lee roth what? when the audience realized what they were seeing 
that being a reunion of the original Van Halen lineup, they launched into a thunderous standing ovation that lasted for over a minute. Now we're talking about the VMAs. So we're talking about an audience that you can see of celebrities and they were losing their minds. Chris Rock was like standing in his chair, pumping his fist. Really? Uh, yeah. Yes. You can find it. It's online. You can find it. Uh, it's it's every, it, because everybody's like, Oh my God, it's Dave. They're back together. Right. That's, that's, that was the assumption that you get as you saw them striding onto stage together. So it was like the end of Twister when Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton kiss and then their team drive up and they see them kiss because they're like, oh my God, they're back together. Yay. Because the script demanded it. But there's still sure. tornadoes. Like people still have tornadoes. They didn't stop tornadoes. Well, the thing is, despite what I just told you, Miller's introduction was technically correct. Only three quarters of the band was present on the stage. Now, Sammy Hagar, as we touched on in our last episode, had left earlier in the year as lead singer. Eddie and Dave reconnected about artwork and track selection of songs for a greatest hits record. And that led to them recording two new songs for the album. He surprised Alex and Michael by bringing Roth to the 5150 studios unannounced. They did write and record a pair of songs, one being Me Wise Magic and the other being Can't Get This Stuff No More. Eddie said he and Dave had first met at Dave's house, smoked some cigars and had a great time and that the two started to become friends again. Eddie actually said, quote, I effing love the guy. That's a big change and, from what he said previously. Right. And that would change again really quickly. <laughs> At most, the band only lightly considered fully reuniting with Rolf uh, in, for Van Halen. Sebastian Bach claims <laughs> that he was summoned to the office of Doc McGee, the manager for his then band Skid Row, and told there was interest in him joining Van Halen. Huh. But he said that he never actually auditioned. He also said that there was only one lead singer for Van Halen that was Diamond Dave. And if they didn't like Diamond Dave, they sure as hell wouldn't like him. <laughs> that was pretty much his, his, his attitude on that. Get this one, Will. Yeah. Sass Jordan said in 1998 that she spent about a month in 1996 at 5150 singing over previously recorded tracks. She apparently said at some point, Quote, you guys couldn't possibly be thinking of having a female lead singer in this band, could you? If they were, she claims that she told them it would be, quote, the dumbest idea that I have ever heard in my entire life. Van Halen denies that that happened. I would love to have heard what that would have sounded like. Well, you and I have talked at length about Sasha and her, sort of how her career got overlooked at that time. Mm -hmm. She had some really good songs. And, and that voice. Ooh. Was that sort of an inadvertent audition? I mean, you got to wonder what led up to that. She said that, that she was there and they had her singing over some pre-recorded tracks. And then it, it occurred to her at a certain point, like, well, they're, they're auditioning me. That, that's what's happening right now. Okay. Now, they, they deny that the whole thing happened. But so wow. once again, you, you just pick who to believe, I suppose. Yeah. They had definitely auditioned Mitch Malloy and had actually written and recorded one song with him. He said in multiple sub subsequent interviews, though, that the ill-fated, as you'll see in just a minute, appearance with Rolf on the VMAs gave him a gut feeling that he needed to bow out, so he did. The person who was chosen as the new lead singer, we'll get to him in just a moment, later said that he had already agreed to join the band before the Video Music Awards. As with a lot of things involving Van Halen, there is a lot of drama and there's not many clear answers. Now, Dave certainly wanted back in the band. Sales of his solo album started out pretty solid, Eat 'em and Smile and Skyscraper both went platinum. 
1991's A Little Ain't Enough barely got to gold. And 1994's Your Filthy Little Mouth sold only 61,000 copies. Ouch. Wow. A reunion would put him back in the spotlight that he so craved. And he said he legitimately loved the band and that he wanted to be back in. But in that moment on the VMA stage... He commandeered the mic and held forth instead of reading the teleprompter. Eddie physically physically pulled him away from the microphone at one point and told him to get on with the presentation. Dave then mugged for the camera and hammed it up with Eddie being noticeably uncomfortable as he did as Beck came up to accept his award for best male video. Interesting. Backstage, Eddie immediately started deflecting questions about a reunion with Dave, referring to his upcoming hip replacement surgery and the fact that the band was still auditioning singers, to which Dave interjected, quote, won't find one better than me. So he's almost begging begging at this point. That's so Dave. Dave. (laughs) Eddie and Alex, in a later interview with MTV News, said that Rolf cornered Eddie backstage and said quote tonight's about me man not your effing hip the two apparently almost came to blows with eddie clenching his fists before the two were separated he said he told Roth that he if he ever talked to him like that again he quote better be wearing a cup <laughs> um they said Roth's behavior was quote disrespectful to beck in an interview with guitar world later that year eddie said quote i thought he had changed but two minutes on stage and a half-ass standing ovation and he turned right back into the Dave I hated. Just who's surprised? I, I gotta say. Right. For his part, <laughs> Dave admits that the band had told him while in the studio working on the new songs for the Greatest Hits album that him being there doing that did not mean that he was back in the band officially, nor did it indicate that he would be invited back in the future. He says he told them before the VMAs, though, that they didn't need to do the group appearance if that wasn't going to be the end result. He shortly thereafter circulated an open letter to the press, which included a picture of him dressed in colonial garb, writing with a quill by candlelight, because why why wouldn't it? (laughs) That letter said in part, quote, I told Edward Edward at the time I didn't think it was a good idea for the band to go to the VMA's half cop and that I didn't want to imply by our presence that we were, quote, back if it was just a quickie for old time's sake. And so I apologize to my fans and my supporters and to MTV. I was an unwitting participant in this deception. It sickens me that the, quote, reunion as seen on MTV was nothing more than a publicity stunt. If I'm guilty of anything, I'm guilty of denial. I wanted to believe just as much as anyone else. Well, well, two points to that. First of all, I know that this is not the only MTV reunion that had a similar tone to it where people said they were sort of misled and there were other forces at play. And second of all, I get the feeling that he just had a picture of himself in colonial garb with a quill and it was just convenient to use at that time. That that just seemed like a good thing to drop in. Yeah, probably. It's like, I'll use this one. Yes. Or or perhaps that was his official, I'm writing an open letter to the press picture. (laughs) Yeah, just ready to go. I've got got a stock picture of myself in colonial garb writing with a quill by candlelight. Why don't I just drop it in here? Yeah, and this is perfect for it. Now, the impression certainly was given from the appearance that the original lineup was back together. I certainly thought that that was the case, personally, when I saw that and when I heard the two new songs on the Greatest Hits album, you know, with Dave singing. Mm-hmm. But when it didn't happen, it turned into a large-scale PR disaster for Van Halen. All that came, of, all that came of the brief reunion was the two songs included on the Greatest Hits album, one of which we're going to listen to right now. Here is a taste of what might have been had things worked out, or had they worked out as they were presented that night at the VMAs. 
This is Van Halen with Diamond Dave singing a song from their greatest hits album, Me Wise Magic.
All right. Uh, so, Will the Thrill, your, your it, thoughts on uh, New Wise Magic? It was a song I'd completely forgotten about. I have heard it, and I recognize it immediately, but it's one of those songs I just forgot was there. I remember it was such a big deal that, in everybody's mind, Dave was getting back with Van Halen. Yes. And that there was new music coming out. This song, I remember, I specific, I don't know why I remember this so within, so distinctly, but uh, a local rock station was debuting it. Like, you know, six o'clock Sunday night, we're going to debut the brand new Van Halen song. And me and my cousin were at my dad's house. We were having some kind of family gathering. He and I walked outside, got in his car, cranked it up at six o'clock so we could hear the new Van Halen song. Like, we were that excited about it. Yeah, I remember there was a big buzz around it because, again, the split with Sammy was so acrimonious. Yes. And, and everyone was kind of wondering what is going to happen to this band. You know, there was a sentiment of what's their next move because the assumption was that the band was just going to keep going. You know, they already said, right. they were going to go. And it, it, it felt like, if you watched the Video Music Awards, that they were going to get back together with Dave. Yeah. And I think based on, you know, the way Dave is and just the way the band had been kind of reacting with the split with Sammy, that seemed like a logical choice. Right. But that's not what happened. No, no, So, so first of all, Eddie did have hip replacement surgery, Mm -hmm. which put him on the shelf for a bit. But the band reconvened in 5150 in March of 1997 with a new lead singer in tow, that being Gary Sharon. Oh, boy. With Freddie Mercury, Roger Daltrey, and Steven Tyler as his main influences, Sharon had fronted the band Extreme previously, which obviously had a huge worldwide number one hit with more than words. And quite interestingly, had opened for David Lee Roth in 1991 on his Little Ain't Enough tour. Now, now I want to go on record before we go further, because anyone who's been listening to the series up to this point may think that I have a big problem with Gary Sharon. Right. I, I do not think he's a bad singer. Not at all. I like songs by Extreme. They have some really good Whole songs. Wholehearted was a good song. Whole Did Ego was a good great. song. Yes, yes, Absolutely. So is Gary Sharon a bad singer? No, he most certainly is not. Is he a bad frontman? No, he most certainly is not. He wasn't the right fit for Van Halen. That's no. my entire point. Right, he was not. Now, when he auditioned, Eddie reportedly liked his lyrics, his work ethic, and said his voice was like, quote, that of an angel. Okay. They worked until December with Sharon actually living in Eddie's guest house the entire time. Uh, Eddie was actually sober during this period, and he took he took control musically of, of this project. First of all, he was basically the album's co-producer, along with his friend Mike Post, who is best known for composing TV theme songs. So that seems an odd choice to help you with a rock album, but... It is, and at this point, what was the status of Eddie and Valerie's relationship? I don't know if they had split by... They were still together at this point, but it's not long. And, and if by together, I think it was predominantly on, on paper they were together. I think that, you know, in the last... Well, episode, well, they, they actually have about 10, almost 10 years of marriage left at this point but about six or seven years of it will be separated and yes, just on paper. They, te- they are still married right now and together. Okay. This is like, this is late nineties, but, it, but, the, but their, their relationship isn't, isn't long. Cause it's I know long. In, in Hagar's biography, he talks about many an evening where Eddie would arrive at his back door drunk and say, you know, Val kicked me out again. Right. Uh, let him sleep it off. So I, that I was a, to- that was a tolerant lady. Uh, yes. She put up with a lot, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. So we will. But Eddie really took full musical control on this album. He not only played guitar, he played bass. Michael Anthony only appears on three songs 
on this album. He handled some of the drumming duties, and he actually sang lead on the song How Many Say I. The band would be trying to pull off the rare feat of reimagining itself for a second time. Could they pull off the feat of authoring a third act that no band had done before? In a word, no. No. (laughs) No, 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 no. Many, many times now. Released in March of 1998, Van Halen 3 was poorly received critically and aspired to be poorly received commercially. Yeah. Uh, Billboard called the album, quote, lackluster. Rolling Stone gave it two out of five stars, but gave it only one star in its album guide. And Entertainment Weekly said the lyrics fell, quote, somewhere between less than profound and not quite abysmal. To, to me, it felt like a Vegas act that was trying to be Van Halen. That's the sort of, of yeah. what I come up with. Yeah. Now, the album did debut at number four on the, on the Billboard album chart, but sales quickly tailed off, with Van Halen 3 only reaching gold status. It was the worst-selling album for the band to date, moving one-sixth as many copies as Balance, which had preceded it. Yeah, wow. Now, the tour wasn't a bomb, with fans actually enjoying hearing some early era songs for the first time in a while, but it didn't bring in quite as much money as previous outings. Eddie told Billboard magazine he actually got a bad feeling at the outset of the tour. Quote, we were getting ready to go on tour, and all of a sudden, I see this John Travolta outfit, these big lapels and a crazy jacket. He's like, this is my stage outfit. That's when I realized it wasn't going to work, Eddie said. That's when he realized? Right, that. Then. Not when you listened to it and said, God, what a turd. Yeah, or or when you're sitting there in the studio (laughs) recording the thing. Okay, so let's do quickly discuss the the album, Will. Yes, please. Now, I saw some interviews, because I've watched a bunch of them and and read a lot of stuff, where somewhere around this time, Eddie said something to the the effect of, you know, people expect us to be this one thing, and if we stray outside that, they don't like it, and when we try anything new, they say, well, it's not as good as the old stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I saw the video for the debut single from Van Halen 3, I just kind of went like, nope, nope, nope. And I didn't give it a chance. I'll I'll be completely honest. There was something about just seeing them and Sharon in that video that just, I just said that this, I I just, I can't deal with this. This isn't Van Halen and I don't want to hear it. But for me, it was a pretty quick write off as well. But that, but, but that was, that was over 20 years ago. And as part of doing this, as you and I've talked about multiple times, I listened to the entire Van Halen catalog. Everything I could find, not only all their studio albums, their live albums, soundtracks that they worked on, and anything I could find with Van Halen, I tried to listen to it. And I listened to Van Halen 3 with an unbiased, slightly more mature ear than what heard it when it came out. It's bad. I was going to say, it's, you're it's, right. not just, it's not just that I didn't want to accept this version of Van Halen. It's not a good album. You're a better man than I, sir. That's all I'll say. First of all, there's a lot going wrong with it. It puts to rest, as I said in in episode one, when we were ranking the Van Halen albums 12 to 1, the idea that, oh, you know, a great musician, why, they can play the phone book and it's going to be awesome. No. Now, Eddie still sounds great. He's still, you know, one of the greatest guitar players in the world and stuff. Sharon is a good singer. That's not the problem. What makes long-lasting great music, like Van Halen 1, the reason it's a classic, yes, it sounded different than anything else. Yes, they had a guitar wizard that blew everybody's mind. Those are great songs. The reason it has staying power and that people still listen to it and hate it today, the songs are good. In fact, the songs are great. There's not even one song on this album that rises to good. Not one. That's the first problem. The other problem, it's so long. This is the longest studio album in the Van Halen catalog, clocking in at 65 minutes. 
the songs are interminably long. It felt like a chore listening to this. It really did. If I remember correctly, my favorite song was an <laughs> instrumental. What is it? Uh, the New World or Newest World or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and that that's was like highlight. that's like a minute and a half long. Yeah, and it pretty much went downhill from there. Right now, initially, I wasn't going to play a song from this one, <laughs> and then I thought maybe I'd weenie out and play one of the two short instrumentals that was featured. Can can we? However, that, please. However. Will was man enough to play something off Caress of Steel on the Neil Peart episode. I regret nothing. <laughs> and this is part of the musical legacy of Van Halen. So I'm going to nut up and I'm actually going to play a song from Van Halen 3. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consult with you two. Uh, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short break for our sponsors and we will be right back. And we're back. All right, and we're getting back now into part four of The Life and Times of Eddie Van Halen. Do you want what I consider to be the best song on this album? There's one song that rises to okay. Or do we, you want to just hear a song from it to really get a vibe of what it was like? Oh, I mean, you're asking me if I want a clown to crap in my mouth or Pennywise to crap in my mouth. They're both clowns. It's just... Do I want a prolific clown? Do I want a, do I want a clown to drop kick me in the junk or pee on my face? Hey, if I got, I guess drop kick me in the junk. What what is the Van Halen equivalent of drop kicking me in the junk? Because I don't want you to pee. Oh, uh, here we go. Do we want to hear? I, I, seriously, do you want to hear the one song that's okay, or do y'all want to hear one that is a representation of what this album sounded like? I'm gonna say the latter yeah. simply because look, if you're if you're a Van Halen fan, and you enjoy this album. Go nuts. Have a good time. Enjoy it. If you're a casual Van Halen listener, I think we want to give them the best sampling so they can make that call for themselves. I got you. That, that's kind of how I feel. It's a uh, public service, in my opinion. The, the song Without You is, is yeah. the one that I, I think is okay. Yeah. It's okay. Passable. But we're not going to listen to that one. To give people a true representation of what Van Halen 3 sounded like, we're going to listen to something else. So from Van Halen 3, here is Dirty Water Dog. Oh, no. Okay.
Oh, God, is it over? It's over, yeah. Okay. Lord have mercy. Well, we made it, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, now that you've all <laughs> abandoned the podcast completely. Yeah. I would rather... Sh- I w- I, 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 Will, I would almost rather stick sharp things in my pee hole than listen to that. I, I would debate Like, that. that is so bad. That is... You and I were, were discussing it as it played. And we're not, we're, we're not trying to just 
you know, beat up on them or, or whatever. It's that is so bad. It's but it, but it's boring bad. It's not even laughably bad. Yeah. It's it's just like blah 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 blah. When is this going to get I'm over? I'm going to say something. I have yeah. something to say. That is so bad that I would almost, almost, almost rather listen to a Phil Collins song. Oh! Oh wow! Whew. That you've you've just said a mouthful, LD. Yeah, that about sums it up right there. Uh, seriously, I I would rather. I would rather light a road flare and stick it in my butt. I would rather <laughs> stick sharp things in my eyes. That is so bad. And you just think, how could a room with that much talent in it make that? Yeah, it's the it's the biggest mystery. And at what point? And at what point in the process of making it did they not realize, like, oh wow, this is this is really bad. <laughs> this is really bad. We should we should go back and maybe try to rework some of this stuff like like at a certain point you just it's like you know when you went to vegas and you got really drunk and you woke up married to a woman with three teeth and okay it's no, like oh well i'm stuck yeah hey, well i'm stuck with her now my, my question is this is he the george lazenby of van halen gary sharon yeah i guess kind of has to be i there's no other equivalent i mean I would say this entire album is like the Never Say Never Again uh, movie, which is considered non-canon. I, I I could argue this album is almost non-canonic. That's a, that's where I'd place it. Wow. Wow. That sounds like you. I think that you pretty much just said your mama. Uh, this is non-canon. <laughs> this is non-canonic. Is basically like your mama. I, I feel like. Okay. So at the start of 1999, the band went back to 5150 to work on a second album with Sharon. Now, one story I read said they actually turned something into Warner Brothers Records, but it was rejected as the label, quote, didn't hear a single. Oh, wow. An another said they wrote songs and did cut demos, but Sharon said things, and I know this is a shock when it comes to Van Halen, quote, started to get a little dysfunctional. Yeah. He thinks that Eddie had started drinking again by this time. And though it wasn't out of control, it, quote, wasn't going in the right direction. Had he been following the band since 1978? I mean... Right. A Rolling Stone article called The Joy and Pain of Rock's Last Guitar Hero wondered if having the first album he wrote and recorded totally sober and one that saw him take a super active, hands-on approach in every respect bombed to such a degree was a big blow to him. Oh. And it may have been. Yeah, it may have been. Wow. Um, Sharon was excused from his duties as lead singer after a meeting with Alex Van Halen on November 5th, 1999. The split was amicable, and they did remain on good terms. Sharon said he actually remains good friends to this day with Mike Anthony. Well, it seems like Mike Anthony is the friendliest I, I was going to say, which I, I think you can just, you could apply that to any person Mike's ever met. At some point. Yeah. There would not be another Van Halen album for 13 years years wow. and there would not be an album of all new material from the band in eddie's remaining 21 years on earth in almost every respect he was about to head into the darkness in 2000 eddie noticed a bump on his tongue tests would soon reveal that he had cancer mm. that was in 2000 in 2000 yeah wow. eddie felt a felt a bump on his tongue got it checked out and it, it turned out it was cancer there was an indication at one point, and I don't know if you remember this well or not, that he actually used crystal meth as a form of treatment. I do not recall that. I, I remember that being a story for a while, though. Uh, from everything I looked at, I could that was not authenticated or publicly claimed by Eddie. But I do remember that being uh, at least a theory at one point. It's, so it's a legend. Hey, we, it's a legend. Right. 
Sort of. Hagar wrote in his book that Eddie later told him he had a portion of his tongue removed, liquidated, and injected back into his body as a form of treatment. The Rolling Stone article, however, asserts that he did undergo conventional treatment, which included chemotherapy, and having one-third of his tongue removed. Oh, wow. Now, Eddie had a theory that he shared with a number of people, including Lance Armstrong and Howard Stern, that his cancer was a result of years of sticking metal guitar picks in his mouth and standing near microphones or sitting in his studio where he essentially did live, surrounded by electronics and magnetic fields. He says the cancer was in the exact spot that the metal picks would touch on his tongue. It was either during a recent interview with Howard Stern or with Eddie Trunk, because I did listen to both, that Wolfgang Van Halen said he did not discount this theory. However, Eddie had obviously been an extremely heavy smoker for most of his life. He was told by doctors, quote, Ed, you are never to smoke again. So for the first time since his early teens, Eddie Van Halen stopped smoking, but it didn't last long. Now, when he was taking stabs at sobriety through the years, Eddie apparently hid bottles of vodka in the bushes of his neighbor and friend, Stephen Piercy, and he would drink them in the yard late at night in an attempt to hide what he was doing from Valerie Bertinelli, his wife. Wow. He would hide away to smoke at first, but soon he was doing it openly in front of Valerie and other family members. That was close to being the, the final straw for her. She had dealt with years of addiction, sometimes erratic behavior, his nonstop work ethic, and marital infidelities. Now, he was defying orders of doctors, and per the Rolling Stone article, a few weeks later, she caught Eddie with cocaine that he'd brought on a plane while traveling with their young son, Wolfgang, who was just 10 at the time. She left. And while divorce wouldn't come official for six full years, they were separated and the marriage was essentially over. Remarkably, they did remain friends with each attending the second wedding of the other. Interesting. Yeah. At this point, we pretty much have to mention the absurdly funny but also frighteningly dark Fred Durst story. Do either of you know it? Uh, No, but if you start anything out with Fred Durst, I'm going to assume it's uh, probably very 90s and possibly involving crappy films. Will, are you familiar with the Fred Durst story? I think I am. Okay. The book, Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the genius Eddie Van Halen by Andrew Bennett, which the band ended up being unhappy with and over which lawsuits were filed, just oh, by the way, claims that sometime around 2001, Eddie and Durst were introduced at a party where a record label executive suggested that they work together with Limp Biscuit's guitarist having just left the band. Bennett said Durst replied, quote, that would be hilarious. The greatest guitar player ever plays with the worst band ever. But Eddie surprisingly responded, F it, let's jam. So Eddie went to a jam session with the band at a house in Beverly Hills, but he left abruptly when everyone else in attendance started smoking marijuana and left his guitars and other equipment behind when he left. Eddie apparently described the brief sessions as being like, quote, a scholar amongst kindergartners. The next day, Eddie called to inquire about retrieving his gear, but took matters into his own hands when 24 hours passed without a response. Eddie apparently owned an assault vehicle that he purchased at a military auction. What's an assault One that had a giant shine gun on the back that's not actually legal for civilians to own. How did he, okay. Yeah, good question. 
Like a jeep with a gun on it. I, I mean, how, I mean, let's flash back to episode two. How did they get a tank? Well, that I can understand. I'm sure Dave has ways that that could happen. I mean, if I tried really hard, I guarantee you I could get a tank. Okay. In fact, let me see if I can't get one by the end of this episode. Okay, please. I, I'm, I'm interested to see if you can. Bennett said that Eddie recounted to him that he drove this army assault vehicle through Los Angeles and into Beverly Hills, left it running and parked on the front lawn of the house where Lint Biscuit was rehearsing. Got out wearing no shirt, his hair in a samurai bun on top of his head, jeans held up with a piece of rope, and combat boots held together by duct tape. Wow. Bennett recounted Eddie telling him what happened next. Quote, that asshole answered the door. I put my gun to that stupid effing red hat of his and said, where's my shit, mother effer? That effing guy just turned to one of his employees and started yelling at him to grab my shit. Gun in hand, cigarette planted between his lips, Eddie allegedly held Durst at gunpoint until all the gear had been placed in his assault vehicle for him to take on. You know, you could have just asked. So I I will tell you, I, I knew that story, but not the finer details of it. Basically that the story I knew was exactly what you had said, they got the party or whatever. Right. His gear is there, and he came back with a gun to demand his items. But it was not nearly right. as good as what you just told us. Right. Which which I suppose since there was, I mean, like a giant military gun mounted on the back of it, I guess he could have just blown the mansion up. He could have yeah, just, just pulled up in the yard and just blown the mansion up that they were playing. In. Wow. I guess he I guess he did him a solid and just pointed a gun at his stupid, quote, stupid effing red hat. Which which I can picture. <laughs> I mean, you have the visual. Yes, me too. The band supposedly had another brief dalliance with David Lee Roth getting together between 2000 and 2001 to write some new songs. This is the most toxic of relationships. Yes, it, it well, oh, no, it's not. Because wait just a minute, we'll get there. <laughs> they may have actually demoed some songs, but nothing came of them, obviously. Sometime in late 2003 or 2004, they definitely had a reconciliation of some kind with Sammy Hagar. Per Hagar's retelling, he had wanted to reach out to Alex Van Halen for some time, noting that he never really had any issues with him. While vacationing in California, he called him and called the resulting lengthy conversation a, quote, love fest. He eventually met up with Eddie at the home he and Valerie built before their split. Sammy's recounting of this in his book, Red, paints an extremely ugly picture of a person that's on the brink. He said there were empty bottles and cans strewn everywhere. He said there were spider webs, dirty clothes, blankets thrown over windows, and mattresses leaning against walls, he guessed, for the purposes of soundproofing. He said Eddie was frighteningly thin, appeared to have not bathed in a week, and was wearing no shirt, camo pants that were frayed and worn at the cuffs, held up with rope, and a pair of combat boots held together with duct tape through which his big toe stuck. Eddie was smoking. He was hunched over like an old man, and he was drinking cheap red wine straight out of the bottle. When Hagar suggested he get a glass, he said Eddie held up the bottle and said, quote, it's already in a glass. (laughs) He was missing teeth. The ones that remained were black, and he not only told Sammy that he'd pulled some teeth himself, but explained that he had remained awake during his hip replacement surgery and helped doctors drill the hole. To that, Sammy thought to himself, quote, what a fruitcake. He also felt that there might have been more going on than just alcohol there, but he said whatever else Eddie was doing, he was able to hide it. Those should probably have provided major hints that bad things were afoot and a reunion was a really, really bad idea. Sammy said, though, that Eddie had a charming side and that he hoped the guitarist would straighten himself out when he had to. So Sammy agreed to work on three new tracks for a double album greatest hits package called The Best of Both Worlds. Sammy says the songs were written fairly easily and that he and Mike Anthony laid their parts down quickly. But he said it took Eddie three months 
to work out the lead guitar parts, something that he said Eddie would have knocked out in a couple of hours in the old days. Their first album was knocked out in what a matter of hours, wasn't it? And, and I was going to say, if it took three months to do guitar parts, Van Halen 1, 2, Diver Down, Women and Children First, and Fair Warning combined, I don't think took three months to make. I don't think they did, no. So it took him three months to work out the guitar parts for three songs. Oh, jeez. So there's obviously a lot of bad stuff going on there. So I guess the question then is whether or not the songs were worth waiting on. So I guess we should listen to one and we'll decide. So we're going to do that now. This is Van Halen with Sammy Hagar singing lead on the super heavy song, It's About Time.
we're back. All right. So that was a track from the Van Halen Greatest Hits Package, Best of Both Worlds. Now, Will, you said you had almost forgotten about that one. I, when I looked it up, I recognized the album cover because it's got yeah. the Pete John Freddy's guitar. But that one I totally forgotten about. Absolutely. And it's a pretty good song. I actually, I actually like that one. It's really heavy. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't like it that much. Okay. Specifically because it seems like it's out of time from... It seems so far removed from when they were at their peak. Okay. Now, there were elements of the proposed tour for the Best of Both Worlds package that should have demonstrated the impending disaster that was about to unfold (laughs) beyond just whatever shape Eddie was in. The brothers did not want to tour with Mike Anthony, but Hagar was insistent that his friend be along for the ride. There were apparently hard feelings that Anthony had not reached out to Eddie when he was sick and had perhaps not attended the funeral for Eddie and Alex's mother, who had died not too long before this. Now, as you'll remember, he signed away his share of the band's publishing on the final tour with Rolf, and he had his 20% share in what the band took in on the road and in merchandise and and other venues cut to 10% prior to the balance tour. That was done on a 3-1 band vote with Hagar being the lone no vote. So Anthony voted for it. And Hagar was the one against it? The, yes. The, the, to cut him from 20 to 10% was a 3-1 to one vote. Voting yes were Alex, Eddie, and Michael. Voting no but, on it was Sammy. Interesting. Yeah. He is portrayed as this... A super nice guy who doesn't, who just wants, kind of wants to go with the flow and enjoy what's what's happening and doesn't want to piss and moan about money or whatever. So he went along with all this stuff. I, I would not have, but and it, it's interesting because Sammy and Mike obviously continued to work together in the years ahead. Maybe you're going to touch on that. Yes, he would essentially for this tour be a hired hand, being paid only a base salary. The brothers were also apparently angry that Anthony had continued playing with Hagar during hiatus by Van Halen. The brothers did not want Sammy promoting his tequila brand Cabo Wabo on stage or in venues. So as a jab at them, he got a Cabo Wabo tattoo on his arm and performed every night in short sleeves so that they had to look at it. That's hilarious. He also independently contracted with venues to sell the beverage. The tour, as with any Van Halen is involved with, generated huge interest and lots of money, nearly $60 million worth, according to some estimates. However, the problems were plentiful and very serious. Now, it is worth mentioning that Eddie says some of the stories in Sammy's book are either embellished or aren't true, though he admits that he was a heavy-drinking alcoholic at the time, and being, quote, a mean drunk. But Sammy said that Eddie collapsed backstage several times, and on one occasion, bizarrely claimed to have been hit by a car. Wait, Eddie was or Sammy was? Eddie. He collapsed backstage and, and claimed that he had been hit by a car. After one show, he said Eddie spent the majority of a flight in the bathroom and finally emerged soaking wet as though he had tried to bathe in the sink. He had a hairbrush stuck in his hair. He flopped down in the floor and was, quote, fussing with the brush until they landed, never getting up or returning to his actual seat. Quote, hospital crazy, Hagar surmised. Wow. After another tour stop, Eddie hopped in a limo the minute the show ended and left the venue. Sammy and Michael hung around for a bit, showered, and showed up to the airport laughing, joking, and enjoying some barbecue sandwiches they picked up. So I'm on their side on anything that happens going forward. Good choice, guys. They're obviously good human beings because they like barbecue sandwiches. But that led to a nasty tirade from Eddie. Sammy claims he said, quote, don't ever effing make me wait. Without me, you're nothing. 
you need me. You'll see at the end of this tour, you guys will have nothing. You're going to have to call me if you ever want to tour again. Wow. And I think that might be the mean drunk that Eddie admitted that he was, if that's how things unfolded. And that's one of the things Sammy points out in his book is that Eddie going in and out of treatment. And, you know, again, you'd get different Eddies on different days due to mm -hmm. this addiction. Yeah. Which is a sad pattern for people who are alcoholics in general. It, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely is. So all that stuff started piling up and it was compounded by the fact that Sammy said Eddie was either mailing it in or was too messed up to play on stage every night. He said he, Alex, and Michael were, quote, playing their asses off and that Eddie was, quote, up there jacking off. Wow. There was a standoff at a hotel after a show when Eddie couldn't remember the fake name that Sammy used to check in under, which you'll remember <laughs> was a bone of contention when Sammy left Van Halen. He was trying to call Sammy and, and couldn't remember, or Sammy had changed his name, one or the other. But that, that this it's weird how that's a recurring thing. Right. Yeah, having um, edited that episode, he had changed the name that the room was in. Right, but he started looking for him. Sammy was fed up and told their tour manager, quote, bring that mother effer up here. Sammy then announced he was quitting the tour saying, quote, I'm not going to work with this guy ever again. He's got no respect for anything or anybody. F him. I'm done with this tour. Eddie did apologize, and Sammy did stick around, but not because of any contrition from Eddie. Contractually, he could either finish the tour or be sued. Well, those are your options, right? Right. So he sucked it up and soldiered on for 40 more dates, but said he and Eddie rarely spoke. They would take different planes, stay in different hotels, use different limos, and mostly only saw each other on stage where Sammy said he made an effort to physically not even go near Eddie. Wow. On occasion now, he said he would still stick his head in Eddie's dressing room and say mm. hello to him before shows. And he said sometimes Eddie was okay and that they might even jam a little like in the old days, but often he wasn't okay. He detailed that country star Kenny Chesney came to a show. And when Sammy introduced him to Eddie backstage, the guitarist shook his hand disinterestedly and pronounced, quote, I got to take a shit and walked off. Huh. It's one way to do it. Huh. In Oklahoma City, Toby Keith was on hand. So Sammy had the idea that he'd perform Keith's song, I Love This Bar, during his solo portion of the show and have Keith come out for the second half with Oklahoma City being Keith's hometown. Keith later told Sammy that Eddie confronted him backstage wanting to know, quote, why would you want to go on with him? Why didn't you come on with us? Keith told Eddie, quote, you didn't invite me, to which Eddie said, quote, I'm inviting you now. He also apparently asked Keith why he was wearing a cowboy hat. And when told, because I'm a country guy, Eddie supposedly shot back, quote, no, it's because you're bald. Wow. Predictably, predictably, wow. the crowd ate up Toby Keith's performance, which Sammy said made Eddie, quote, go crazy the rest of the night. He destroyed his dressing room after the show. His son, Wolfie, was in my dressing room, scared and crying. Oh, wow. Sammy seriously doubted Eddie was going to make it through the tour, and he wasn't the only one. Those around him told Bert Nelly, who was still married to Eddie at this point, though they were separated that they quote feared for his life there apparently was a stab at an intervention on the tour at some point with their manager doing most of the talking urging eddie to go away for a few weeks even if it meant postponing some shows sammy claims that eddie smashed the wine bottle he was holding and yelled quote i will kill the first mother effer that tries to take this bottle away from me i left my family for this shit you think i'm gonna effing do this for you guys wow holy at the final 
that that's which is heartbreaking to hear that is just yeah oof that is a tough that the that that the the hooks of addiction are that deep into him at that point and that he's aware of this it's just sure yeah and right it's not he's not oblivious to what's happened he he knows what choice he made and he's telling him he and he's telling people what he did i i chose this over my family so you think i'm gonna pick you over this it's pretty much what he's saying. Oh, that's that's. I mean, hard, it's, hard. it's so scary that that he got that far. Yeah, at the final show of the tour in Arizona, Eddie was, as per Sammy's retelling, pretty much a mess on on stage, and he smashed one of his favorite guitars, sending shrapnel flying into the audience. He then allegedly took to the mic and tearfully said, "Quote: You guys don't understand." Before telling the audience he loved them and that they paid his rent. Wow. That's, that's, that was the most that was the most they would actually hear from Eddie that night. You know what? It sounds like a really <clears throat> bad end of the night karaoke story and not something coming from like one of the biggest rock stars ever. Right. Yeah, I thought but, but the weird outburst was the most they heard from Eddie that night. The man who once famously said that his spinal tap was at eleven, he was at fifteen. The man whose guitar occupied one entire stereo channel on the band's first six albums who inspired hundreds of copycats and was unquestionably one of the world's best and most influential musicians, was playing so badly at that time, his guitar was turned down significantly in the live mix to disguise the fact that he was either playing horribly or playing the wrong songs. He was playing the wrong songs? Yeah. Oh. So if you were at that concert, you actually barely heard his guitar because they had it turned so far down in the mix because they didn't want you to hear what he was playing. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Which is... that's as sad as almost anything we've read yet. That yeah. somebody with that innate talent yeah, was, was so playing was playing like so badly that they were turning him down so you couldn't hear him. Wow. That's like yeah. what you do with like a fledgling band where one of the members quite isn't there yet, you know. Right. But for the first time his substance use his substance use and abuse was affecting his legendary guitar playing. Sammy got in a limo as soon as the show ended, rode to the airport, flew home, and was done. He called his relationship with Eddie at that time, quote, irretrievably broken. Eddie supposedly flipped out on the flight home from that last show and began trying to smash an airplane window with a wine bottle. In one of the recent interviews I listened to it, with Wolfie, it was either on Howard Stern or Eddie Trunk, I don't remember which. He said that he hopes people who had bad experiences with his father No, that wasn't the real Eddie Van Halen. There's one story from around that time uh, on this ill-fated tour that I think demonstrates that. Now, prior to a date in Texas, Eddie called Vinnie Paul. Oh, nice, yeah. Those who aren't familiar with was the drummer for Pantera. Yep. And invited he and his brother, Dimebag Daryl, to come to a show and take part in a sound check with them. In fact, not only did he allow them to come and take part in the sound check with him, he sent a limo to pick them up. Classy. He let Dimebag play his rig, which his wife Rita said at the time left him looking like a kid in a candy store. Now, Vinny and Dimebag obviously were brothers, and they played in the band Pantera, a band that at one point was called, quote, the Van Halen of Texas. Dimebag idolized Eddie and listened to songs like Eruption and Spanish Fly prior to every single concert he ever played. As they were flying home from having taken part in a sound check with Eddie Van Halen, Dimebag told his brother, quote, man, if this plane crashed and I died tonight, I would be okay because we got to meet Eddie Van Halen. Rita said Dimebag said something similar to her noting, quote, if I died tonight, it wouldn't matter because I've done everything now. I've met Eddie Van Halen. This was, this was... uh, a a literal bucket list item for him that he got to check off. Mm. Eddie enjoyed jamming with him so much 
he said that he wanted to get together again with them when their schedules would allow it. And that wouldn't happen, unfortunately. As Dimebag was shot as he performed on stage just a few months later with uh, his band Damage Plan, Dimebag and Vinny reportedly always looked at each other and said Van Halen right before starting a set as a way to remind themselves to play a fun, ass-kicking rock show. So literally, Daryl Dimebag's last words were probably Van Halen. Unbelievable. At a bare minimum, the last words he said to his brother were Van Halen. Probably because I think he was shot at what less than a, oh, what, a minute or so into the show. It was pretty quick, wasn't it? Like right after the show began. It, it, it went pretty quick. It's entirely possible the last words he said on this earth were Van Halen. Now, when he'd met Eddie, Dimebag offered to pay him $30,000 for one of his striped guitars. But Eddie told him that he would stripe him, uh, stripe him up one just for him as a, as a gift, that he wouldn't have to pay for it. After his death, the family asked if Eddie, when he called them to ask if there was anything he could do for them, would stripe a guitar to be buried with Dimebag. He said, quote, one of the red, white, and black ones. And Rita said, quote, no, Daryl said that the yellow and black one was your toughest guitar. When Eddie came to the funeral, he brought that original guitar, the black and yellow guitar called the Bumblebee, which is featured on the cover of Van Halen 2. It was a Charvel that Eddie customized himself, gutting the <laughs> pickups out of it, putting new pickups in it, restringing it, rebuilding the entire neck, and then painting it. And it was obvious immediately to everybody it was the original Bumblebee because of the rusted strings that were on it. Mm. Quote, an original should have an original, Eddie said. Eddie was about to walk into the room where Dimebag's casket sat when he saw Dimebag's feet. Quote, I can't go in there. I can't see him like that. I want to remember him like he was the night I met him, Eddie said. That's according to a story posted on the Van Halen news desk. Rita and Dimebag's guitar tech took the guitar, took it in the room, and placed it in Dimebag's casket. Quote, see, baby, you didn't get a replica. You got the one, she said, kissing Dimebag on the forehead. Ed was awesome, and I thank him still, she said. So to me, that probably shows you more who Eddie really was when he wasn't under the influence of things that made him act the way he perhaps did on that tour. Yeah, if you first of all, if you're a, a guitar player, that's probably the highest honor you could ever receive, ever. And if you are not moved by that story, you have no soul there. Right. You're a terrible person, and I never want to meet you. And you are empty and dead inside. Right. And Eddie, Eddie and Zach Wilde actually both took part in eulogizing Dimebag. They did whiskey shots <laughs> okay. in the course of, but it was Dimebag's funeral. Yeah. Um, but they, they actually, both of them actually spoke at length about him and eulogized him. And he was buried in a kiss casket, by the way, provided by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. That's what I heard. Which, which I was also un under the impression that was provided free of charge as well. It was provided free of charge, absolutely. And he was he was buried with Eddie's original Bumblebee guitar in that casket with him. And then I, I actually read a story this morning, long after I'd actually finished writing all this. There was a, a musician who I actually was not familiar with named, I, I think his name was Jason Becker. Have you ever heard of him? Which band? I don't remember the band he was in, but he was signed, his band was, when he was about 16 years old in the mid to late 80s. He then actually was David Lee Roth's guitarist on the Little Ain't Enough tour in 1991. But Becker found out, I think not too long after that, that he was battling ALS. Oh, wow. So some pictures, and, and I don't know if it was, if videos too, I saw pictures on a story this morning where eddie went and visited him this guy who was suffering from als and by that time had lost most of his motor function and couldn't move very well 
and that Eddie didn't make a big deal out of it or want publicity like, oh, look, I'm going and visiting this person to show how good I am. It's like he just he did it because he was a good guy that he went and, and visited this guy and his family and spent time with him. This guy who at this point had lost, was almost unable to move, I think. Wow. It's, it's so it's so crazy because you you see who he is when he's drunk mm-hmm. and then you see who he is when he has and I don't know he could have been drunk when he went and saw this kid but well I mean he wouldn't be a kid at this point but it's weird that you see this duality yeah of Eddie like part of him is you know this semi-selfish individual that's like destroying things and frightening his son and then you see him who gives the, the guitar that could be worth millions now and just put it. Oh, if you took that, put that at auction now, it, it, yes, easily. You know, but he just, he gave it up because he had so much respect for someone. And then right. now, he's, now he's visiting someone with ALS. And the other thing is, is that uh, Becker is actually still alive. Oh, wow. Uh, he composes music. He, like a lot of people who were, who were deep into that uh, disease, he communicates with eye movement. But he actually composes music the same way, which which I, I find fascinating and and bravo, sir, that yeah. you continue to do that. That's amazing. And I tell you what, because it's a classic, and because it was an absolute favorite of Dimebags, and because it's not a very long song, let's dip a little ways back into Van Halen's catalog and play another of Eddie's classic instrumentals. Because this is a song that Dimebag Daryl listened to before almost every Pantera or Damage Plan concert. From Van Halen 2, here's Spanish Fly. One of my all-time favorites. There we go. That's otherworldly. That's like I mean. playing a better version of Flight of the Bumblebee. The funny thing is, is it does vaguely sound like a fly flying, like the flapping of wings or something. Well, did you see me when I was trying to actually like... You couldn't keep up? I could like <laughs> at, at, at a certain point, like my arm starts to hurt. Yeah. Well, he, he's, t- he's demonstrating the two-handed tapping technique on an acoustic guitar, which you almost can't do. Well, bear in mind what's happening here technically is you get two sounds. One when you strike the string with your finger and another when you pull it off. So aside from mere speed, you've got to time those with the chain. That's, that is ridiculous is what I'm saying. Yeah, that it's is amazing insane. that he was able to do yeah. that. Eddie was mostly off the radar until 2006 when he gave an interview to Howard Stern. The very wide-ranging and admittedly strange exchanges included him claiming to have cured his cancer, quote, in a way that's not exactly legal in this country. He said he'd opened his own pathology center. He confirmed he and Alex did do some work with Roth in the early part of the decade, but that nothing came of it as Roth was, quote, a loose cannon. (laughs) He seemed unhappy that Anthony and Hagar were touring as, quote, the other half and were jokingly calling their tour Sam Halen. Um, Ah, He called ah. Anthony 
He called Anthony, who had a line of hot sauces out at this point, Sauce Sobolewski, with Sobolewski being his actual last name. And he called Hagar, quote, the little red rocker and the little red worm, a reference to the fact that he was selling tequila, obviously. I, you know what? Said, I don't think those are terrible names. No. He, no, he said, quote, they're out there selling hot sauce and tequila and playing all my songs. It doesn't bother me. It just makes them a cover band. Huh. Interesting. He then brought up having recorded two songs, one called Rise and another called Catherine, for porn director Michael Nen, whose work Eddie likened to Steven Spielberg. Of porn? <laughs> He said, quote, I don't call it porn. I call it sex. It's like Braveheart with a cum shot. <laughs> what a wow. Ev everyone's giving me their dweeb opinion about this. But without sex, you wouldn't be here to give me your dweeb opinion. Now, in an effort to take in the, the entire Eddie Van Halen catalog, I did listen to both of these songs. You can find them on YouTube. And they're actually good pieces of music. We're not going to listen to them because... One of them vaguely, the start of Rise vaguely sounds like generic porn music. Oh, like the typical bam, Right. What porn are you watching? That's better. But then it settles in. It's actually, they're actually both really good pieces of music, I will say. They're just on the long side, right? Uh, they're but they're a little longer. We would. Uh -huh. Nice. Long. You said long and porn. Okay. That's funny. Uh -huh. <laughs> because porn has long things. <laughs> um, he did speak glowingly in that interview with Wolfgang, of whom he said, "Quote: This kid is effing dangerous. If I excel at the speed of sound, he excels at the speed of light." And it seems as though the presence of Wolfgang in his life, not only which in is, a familiar... Which is super weird because David Lee Roth excelled at the speed of smell. <laughs> um, it does seem as though the presence of Wolfgang in his life, not only in a familial sense, but also musically, was starting to reinvigorate Eddie. He, Wolfie, and Alex were regularly jamming in the 5150 studios, though Wolfie later joked his dad was a terrible music teacher. Since he'd say, <laughs> quote, quote, well, you play that song like this. And then he would turn into Eddie Van Halen, to which his son would say, quote, F you, I can't do that. You're Eddie Van Halen. And that's coming from his own kid. So what does that right. yeah. Still, he was getting better and he would replace Michael Anthony on bass in Van Halen. And I have to admit, uh, Will, when I heard that Eddie Van Halen's 15-year-old kid was replacing Mike Anthony, I was like, oh God, what? Come on. You and know then you actually hear him play and you go like, huh. Okay, well. Then you're like, oh, God. I mean, like, oh, crap. He actually, oh, no, he's actually good. No, he's actually good. This is fine. And I think I gave him a pass because of the musical pedigree. Again, if this sure. was anybody else, like if Gary Sharon's kid started playing, I'd be like, ah, you know. Well, the idea that oh, some 15-year-old is going to be joining Van Halen, but then you actually listen to him play, and you're like, oh, no, he can keep up. He's good. Never mind. The kid is good, yeah. No, no question. No, he, he's, he's, actually, he's really, really talented. No, what happens You're good with this. The only thing at this point was that they didn't have a lead singer. That brought about a probably inevitable call. One, two, David Lee Roth. Alex said there the interesting- There are other singers in the world. Not according to David there Lee Roth. Are, there nope. are other people that could sound like David Lee Roth. Look, I could do it. Ah! See, like David Lee Roth's in the room. <laughs> I thought he was. I expected to see you naked looking into a mirror. Dave! <laughs> 
Is that you, Dave? Should we, we get it on three? That's so Dave. One, two, three. That's so That's Dave. That's so Dave. <laughs> Alex said the interesting thing is that anyone who came into the band would be surrounded by Van Halen. And Rolf yeah. likened it yeah. to Rolf likened it to the devil crashing a family basketball game. <laughs> Great analogy. Now Van Halen was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007, though only Hagar and Anthony actually showed up for the ceremony. And as an aside, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that you made Van Halen wait four years to get in, screw you. You suck. Okay, before I get up on my soapbox, which I actually yep. have, because it's right there. Yep. The you have a literal soap soapbox? Yes, yes it is I an do. Box I, feel the, I feel the need to go out into the country and find a high horse. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I, I just get my knickers in a knot. Mm -hmm. Yep. See, it is an actual soapbox. An actual soapbox. Wow. Uh, what was I talking about? You're getting on your, your soapbox. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where was I? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There are a lot of people that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has not even yet to induct yet. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of slights with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame seems to have a, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voters seem to have a problem with, oh, I don't know, rock and roll. Well, there's that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Van Halen had, that, that Van Halen wasn't like first year eligible in is, is a joke. And it, it demonstrates that your pathetic little uh, orifice, edifice, no, you know what, orifice, I do mean okay. orifice, in Cleveland is worthless. It means, it, it's a joke. Because, I, I mean, what, what is your criteria for voting? If it's not, well, they have one of the most inventive and amazing musicians in the history of music in their band. They have 10 multi-platinum albums. They probably played in God knows how many millions of fans. They probably have more good to great songs than almost anybody else that's ever played music. And if that's not your criteria to get in, what is it? Well, because it's, because your criteria is stupid. I think there's a date that you have from like the first release or like the first release hitting the charts. There is a date. No, no, yeah, it's, yeah, it's but I'm telling you, they had to wait four years past their, when they were eligible. They were eligible for this, induction in 03. This year, the, 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 I think 2019 or 2020, Depeche Mode, the Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, the Notorious B.I.G., and then T Rex. Those were the inductees. Right. But think about how long Kiss had to wait. How long Cheap Trick had to wait, and Steve Miller Band had to wait, and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Leonard Skinner. And if those aren't first ballot Hall of Famers, then your Hall of Fame is a piece of shit, and it means nothing. That any of those had to wait any length of time to get in is, is pitiful. Don't worry, their museum is temporarily closed. I can imagine why. And for those listening in the year 2050, that's because we have this thing called COVID. Right. We didn't have like flying cars and food and pill form. Uh, like you do now, or I assume, and like rocket shoes. Do you have rocket shoes in the future? Are there rocket shoes? But I mean, I just, I, th I think it's that Van Halen had to wait yeah. four Ooh, years past when they were first eligible is the, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. To the point where the two attendees weren't even in the band anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Right. Da wait, Dave didn't show up. It was like his opportunity to be on stage. Uh, that's see, right. Well, he would have to have shared, had, had to have shared it with, Sammy and Michael, so maybe he found that not appealing. <laughs> Van Halen was planning on hitting the road with Rolf, but those plans were put on hold as Eddie re-entered rehab, apparently at the urging of Wolfgang and Alex. But on September 27th, 2007, Van Halen 
hit the stage with David Lee Roth for the first time in 23 years. They opened their show with You Really Got Me, and Dave looked straight at his guitar player as he delivered the line, I only want to be by your side. Eddie was sober, but soon realized he had become addicted to the drug Clonopin, which he'd been given by doctors. Eddie went to rehab again in 2008, and he emerged completely clean, and he would stay that way for the remainder of his life. Though he had withdrawal symptoms from clonopin and antidepressants doctors had prescribed him that he said left him feeling, quote, catatonic for a while. What got him through was Alex, but mainly Wolfie. Quote, I'll tell you, we had the last leg of the tour to do, and I got, after I got sober in 2008, and what gave me strength was looking over at my son, because I was so nervous. And I'd never in my life, you know, done a tour sober. So here, all of a sudden, I am in front of 15, 18, 20,000 people. And what are they all looking at? Yeah, I used to be in my own little world. Nothing really mattered. I just played, had fun. Boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, they were staring at me. And I'm aware of everything. I'm talking, what, you know, 35, 40 years of doing it one way. And I look over at Wolfie and go, oh, okay, there's a 16-year-old over there who's kicking ass. He's sober. Okay, I got to strap on the trousers here and get it together. That was Eddie talking to Esquire magazine in 2012. Eddie was close to remarrying at this point, too. Wedding stunt person turned publicist Janie Lazuski in 2009. Unfortunately, his health problems would start to recur. When did he actually divorce Valerie Bertinelli? Because I knew they were separated. It was around around 06 or 07. They were actually officially they were, divorced they, were they, pra- cool. they were practically divorced in around 2000 okay but it, it just it wasn't official for about six years they but they were separated for a very long time Got it. on that tour he did start to uh, have some health problems he felt excruciating pain in his thumb and pinky finger quote it got progressively worse to the point that about three months ago i was unable to play at all my pinky and my thumb were totally locked up and felt like there was something broken eddie said he was initially treated for arthritis but a scan turned up a bone spur, twisted tendon, and a cyst in the joint of his left thumb. Yikes! He had surgery, and he could certainly still write music, but he actually had to sit the guitar aside for the most part, for the first time in more than 35 years. So, he watched TV, something he had almost never done the previous 35 years. Wow. Law and Order was his favorite show, by the way. Ah. If you remember, when he met Valerie Bertinelli, he almost didn't know who she was. That's right. Mm. It, like, because he just, he would just stay up all night, like, doing coke and drinking and playing his guitar. He didn't he didn't watch television. Or, or if he did, it was very little. Yeah, well, I can imagine. Unfortunately, much more serious health issues were on the horizon. By 2011, it had been 13 years since Van Halen had produced anything other than a greatest hits package. That was amazing given the prolific nature of the band for so many years and the fact that Eddie almost lived in 5150 and by his estimation had accumulated a million tapes and discs full of music. Well, so we basically have Van Halen music until we die. Until infinity. Yes. Um, Eddie was outvoted on where a new album would be recorded, with a commercial studio being chosen instead of 5150, though it would be finished in his preferred confines. Wolfgang was essentially a co-producer and made a lot of musical decisions about which older songs they were going to resurrect. He reworked some musical parts and was involved on almost every front, something that Eddie seemed to welcome. He was passing the torch a bit. It also showed that when he called his son, quote, the most incredibly talented effing person i've ever met it wasn't just a dad gushing over a son wolfgang is very talented 
Van Halen recorded 35 demos, some of which were revived versions of older songs that the band had never finished or released. Roth actually said that the album was, quote, a collaboration with Van Halen's past. Finally, on February 7th, 2012, 14 years since the release of their last studio album and 21 years since the reformation of Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Our federally mandated reference to Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Of the podcast, the album A Different Kind of Truth was released and the song Tattoo was chosen as the lead single. Critically, the record was actually pretty well received. The Guardian gave it four out of a, a possible five stars, calling it, quote, a frequently thrilling album. All Music Steve Earlwine gave it the same rating and pronounced, quote, Van Halen are using their history to revive their present, and they su uh, succeed surprisingly well. Reviewer Steve Hyden stated that, quote, for whatever reason, when Roth is in the band, Eddie Van Halen plays guitar like the world wants him to play guitar. The album did debut at number two on the album charts, which means that Van Halen never had a number one album with David Lee Roth at the helm. Oh my gosh. They got to number two twice, but never got to number one. But the album that they put out would end up being the third best-selling rock album of the year. Of course, by this time, a lot of people didn't buy albums anymore, and the prominence of rock music had, had faded. So the album, A Different Kind of Truth, went gold in Canada, but it stalled out at 411,000 copies sold in the United States, mm. which technically makes it the lowest selling album in the Van Halen catalog, lower even than Van Halen 3 somehow. Yeah, they're going to say, how is that even possible? The tour, which featured new songs and early Roth-era classics, was a huge success, netting more than $44 million in gate receipts by mid-year. An Asian leg of the tour was postponed, though, as Eddie had emergency surgery for diverticulitis. What is that? That's when you have pockets of poop that build up in your intestines, I think, Will. Is that right? I, I don't want to know if that's the case. It sounds very unpleasant. It, it sounds, I think... That is when you have these little pockets in your intestines. I think I think it's in your intestines that collect poop essentially, and and it it they swell and build up and they get bacteria in them, and it's oh. it's it's bad it's bad news. It almost sounds like you get septic shock. A friend of mine actually had this, and he said that they to help prepare you for surgery, they give you a gallon, a gallon, a gallon. <laughs> Of um, stuff to drink that's very X laxish. Oh, yikes! Ooh. Yeah, get everything. He out said of they gave him a gallon of stuff called Colite to drink, and they jokingly call it "Go Lightly." And he said, "You do not go lightly." So, <laughs> so basically, so, lay down on the toilet and just stay. Yeah, and then they shove a scalpel up your butthole and they cut dookie pockets out of your intestines. <laughs> That sounds. That is, I don't think that's medically how they do that. <laughs> I'm say that. My brother is not a doctor. We at Rock and Roll have not. Uh, not oh. a medical license. I'm no, yeah. And he's gone. And that's it. That's it. That's Good it. night, everyone. <laughs> and for Manchester <laughs> fan. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> We are now approaching the inevitable tragic close to our story, but I want to take one more sidestep. Perhaps in the history of rock and roll, no band has ever achieved the level of poop flinging, backbiting, shade throwing, or whatever term you care to use than Van Halen. Hmm. As already mentioned, Eddie publicly called the Hagar-Anthony pairing, uh, which at the time went by the other half, a cover band. He referred to Sammy as the Little Red Worm and Anthony as Sauce Sobolewski. For good measure, he also called David Lee Roth Cubic Zirconium. Nice. Instead of Diamond Dave. 
Sammy, in turn, publicly wondered why Van Halen had not produced an album and so on, saying the band and Dave were either too scatterbrained, messed up, or lacking in work ethic to complete a project. When the band toured with Dave, Sammy said the vocals were, quote, like a bad vaudeville performance. <laughs> and that the brothers would have, quote, crucified him if he performed that way. Now, Sammy... Sammy and Dave, you might remember, Will, actually did mount a joint tour in the early 2000s. I do remember that, yes. The Sam and, da the Sam and Dave show, I think they called it, with Hagar saying his manager claimed that it would be, quote, a great way to F with Van Halen. I didn't hear after that, that's funny. After the tour, Sammy claimed that Dave was, quote, the weirdest mother effer I've ever met. <laughs> when asked on one later Van Halen tour why they weren't playing any Hagar-era songs, Dave pronounced, quote, well... There's a credibility issue there. Good batter in the middle. You know Roth means it and the other guy doesn't. And that's why it sold half as well. Literally. Midas Bible half. Never did better than half. And why would you bring that into the proceedings? This hamburger don't need no helper. Ain't no rehearsing pants in my closet. <laughs> now, it should be noted that the quote, half the sales statement contains some bias by omission. And is only true in terms of total sales of Van Halen's seven Roth albums versus four Sammy albums. Correct. So, so they essentially did twice as many albums with Dave. Yeah, basically. as they did with Sammy. So that's how he arrives at the. Well, they they you know, they only sold half as many records with Hagar as they did with me. Yeah, they recorded half as many. Yeah, so there's a good reason for that. But you see what I'm getting at? This is just like a gigantic pissing contest back and forth in, in, on everybody's part except for Mike Anthony who said that he did not choose to engage in mudslinging because ultimately it only hurt the fans. Again, he's just like the nicest guy in the world. Right. Everybody else took part though. Sammy said that the real reason that Roth wouldn't sing his songs is that he vocally couldn't. I believe that. Which I think is probably a, a bigger deal than anything else. He said that and Ego are why Dave didn't want to perform on stage with him during their joint tour. Shortly after Dave made the, quote, hamburger helper comment, Sammy was playing the show and about to go into Right Now when he noted that Roth had said there was a, quote, quality issue. He said, quote, a quality issue. You think about that. Think about them with Diamond singing this next song. It would definitely be a quality issue, okay? It would definitely be a quality issue. Eddie pretty much nuked everybody just before going on a 2015 tour with David Lee Roth. He said, quote, Dave does not want to be my friend. How can I put this? Roth's perception of himself is different than who he is in reality. We're not in our 20s anymore. We're in our 60s. Act like you're 60. I stopped coloring my hair because... I know I'm not going to be young again, Eddie said. He said he wanted to make another Van Halen record, but said, quote, it's hard because there are four people in this band and three of us like rock and roll and one of us likes dance music. And that used to kind of work, but now Dave doesn't want to come to the table. Hmm. Now, this is just before he goes on tour with Dave as his lead singer right. that he says these things. He says that he built 5150 to, quote, shove it up Ted Templeman's ass. Yeah. Oh, okay. He saved his toughest barbs, though, for Mike Anthony. Quote, every note Mike ever played, I had to show him how to play. Before we'd go on tour, he'd come over with a video camera, and I'd have to show him how to play all the parts, Eddie said. Oh, poor Mike Anthony. Yeah, Mike I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like Mike Anthony is the Meg Griffith of... of kind, kind, yeah, you know what? That is a brilliant analogy. I don't know if, if Meg plays bass, but if she does... 
then that is spot on. Shut up, Mike. It, it's just frustrating because like he's just there to do his job, you know. And he's, he's like, and he's good at it. Is oh, the yeah. other thing. But okay, Eddie. <laughs> oh, oh, Eddie wasn't done yet. Throwing throwing Mike Anthony under the bus. He then said that Eddie had a high voice, but wasn't really a singer. Adding quote, "I have more soul as a singer than he does." And you know, people always talk about Mike's voice on Van Halen songs, but that's a blend of Mike's voice and my voice. So we all know per an artist that we'll be doing a series on later this year that you don't tug on Superman's cape and you don't spit into the wind. Well, you can add to those adages that you do not speak ill of Mike Anthony within earshot of Sammy Hagar because Sammy heard what Eddie said and he responded, quote, it's really irritating to see them go after Mikey. Mikey didn't do anything ever to Van Halen. Mikey was the most loyal guy in the band. He was the first guy there to rehearsal, the last guy to leave, 100% dedicated, never did anything to hurt those guys, and they tried to hurt him again and again and again. For Eddie to say he had to show him what to play and had to teach him all those songs, that is the biggest line of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. I was in that band for 11 years. There was never a video camera involved showing him what to play. He's one of the greatest rock and roll bass players ever in the world. Mike Anthony is a top five rock and roll bass player in the world. Any bass player will tell you. Any musician will tell you. Mike Anthony is a bad mother effer. F you, Eddie Van Halen, for saying that about Mikey. You're a liar. There it is. Gauntlet thrown. So um, things were going well. <laughs> in that same interview where Eddie said those things about Mike Anthony, Eddie claimed that he never listened to any music other than the music he was presently working on, and that the last album he had purchased was Peter Gabriel's So in 1986. Huh. He said he occasionally listened to Yo-Yo Ma and had taught himself to play the cello, but other than that, he claimed that he, he would never listen to any music other than what he was listening to right that second. Or, or what he was making right that second. Now, I read that, and that when he said that, it got a lot of attention. I am going to say that I'm not going to say that Eddie was lying. I think he was exaggerating because his wife did claim that when they would drive places, Eddie would not let her cut the radio on. He just wanted to hear the like the engine of the car, and that frustrated her a little bit, and that she never heard him listening to music. However, he obviously knew enough about Pantera and Don Bagdarrell to invite he and Vinny Paul to come jam with him. He spoke at length about how much he loved Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. And in retrospect, since his passing, Wolfgang has talked about what a huge ACDC fan Eddie was and that that was, quote, their band. They, The two of them, that's what they listened to together was ACDC. So I think Eddie probably did not listen to much music, but I, he did listen to some. Yeah, I think, I, I think it was probably a little, just like a little bit of an exaggeration for him to say, I, I, I never listened to any music other than what I'm currently working on. Yeah. Backing up just a little bit to 2012, Eddie revealed that year that he'd had a recurrence of cancer, which had spread to his throat, leading to some tour dates being canceled. In 2015, Van Halen hit the road again with Roth. They would play songs that had never or only rarely been played live and many songs that hadn't been heard live in years. So songs like Romeo Delight, Drop Dead Legs, Little Guitars, Dirty Movies, and Women in Love would be on the playlist. Were, were which those Wolfgang, all mentioned in our uh, top five underrated Well, I think those were all in our in, in the underrated list that you and I did. Yeah. But apparently Wolfgang was super involved in picking those mm -hmm. and going back through the, the, the entire Van Halen catalog and saying, hey, why don't we do this one? Hey, when's the last time y'all did Little Guitars? We should play that. Hey, you know, when's the last time we did? You, you guys did dirty movies, man. Let's put that in the set list. Let's work that up. Let's 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 do it. He was taking like he was almost like the band leader. 
at this point. So on this tour, Eddie was said to be not only in top form, but running around the stage and having a great time with David Lee Roth, his brother, and his son. The 41-date tour concluded with two nights at the Hollywood Bowl, the second night of which was on October 4th, 2015. Now, we're going to hit off the pause button right there because we want to hear one song from A Different Kind of Truth. They played very few of them on this last 2015 tour. I think there were only two that they rotated back and forth. I think this was one of them, and this is actually one of my favorite songs from that album. So we're going to take a pause here before we get to the unfortunate ending that we all know is coming. This is a really, really cool song from A Different Kind of Truth. This is Van Halen with You and Your Blues. Ain't no red house over yonder. No stormy Monday waits for you. Uh, ain't no midnight dream in Georgia. I'm not looking for the truth And I tell you what I'm getting rid of next You and your blues Yes, I Now everybody's suffering! 
All right. So that's actually one of my favorite songs from a different kind of truth. Will I, I don't I don't know where you stand on that one, but I like tattoo and what is it? Uh, woman. Uh, she's she's a woman. She's a woman. Yeah, really those, those are both really good ones. Uh, as 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 you and I discussed when we ranked uh, all the Van Halen albums back in episode one, this one is a lower tier one for me, but it's not bad. It's not Van Halen three. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think the lead between Van Halen 3 and this one is remarkable. Right, there, there's a big chasm between that one and anything else they did. Yeah. This one, the songs are really good. The production's a little slick for my taste. It, we discussed this previously, but I do miss Mike Anthony vocally, especially. Yeah. And then, you know, Dave's voice had aged. He lost some range, which he didn't have a ton to lose to start with. I was gonna say. All, all that said, it's still a really good record. It's not, and there's nothing bad about it. It's, it's not like to listen to. Sure, sure. And there are some really good songs, and that and that is a, an excellent song. I love the one we just listened to. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So that's that's one that perhaps they would have played on this tour in 2015. It was 41 dates, and as I said, it concluded with two nights at the Hollywood Bowl. And we love that's a, that venue. That's a great, such you, great venue. The, the two of you have been there multiple times. We we went pretty much every year until the recent you know, pandemic when they closed it. And and we've yeah, seen sure. like the most stellar of he like we've seen James Taylor. James Taylor, Dolly Parton, Queen, uh uh we saw Paul Simon, we saw we saw Weird Al, and, we saw uh Brian Wilson. Like it's it, I'm, I'm gonna tell you there's how odd is it that two of the people I'll be doing series on this year played their last concerts there. It's actually a well-known ending place because a lot of LA bands want to quote come home, but it's also right. just a notable venue that I think a lot of bands like to close. It's a very popular last stop on a tour. Uh, the 41 day tour concluded with two nights at the Hollywood Bowl, the second of which was on, as I said earlier, October 4th, 2015. During Dance the Night Away, Dave said, quote, and this is during the guitar solo, the best years of my life, the high points of all my life on stage with you, homeboy. I will always do the half Jesus towards you. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about, he was making fun of Bon Jovi because Bon Jovi does that thing where he holds the one arm out and Dave was mockingly calling it the half Jesus. <laughs> oh, I think he nailed it. Hey -oh. <laughs> oh, well, wait, but, he's messing with Bon Jovi. He probably crossed the wrong guy. But, you know, the thing is, is that's <laughs> an odd, that's an odd thing. Hey, oh, that's the, uh, um, that is uh, kind of a and we lost LD. Yeah, now we've lost LD. I'm sorry. Uh, we're gonna get crucified for that one. <laughs> no, come on, man. Our 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 listeners think we walk on water. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, but that, that that's that was an odd thing for Dave to say. Very out of character. Sort of. It's a little bit out of character. It really was. Was he drunk? I don't think so. Eddie played a solo that worked in elements of Little Guitars, Main Street, Spanish Fly, Eruption, and Cathedral. Oh. The band finished the blistering 23-song set with You Really Got Me, Panama, and Jump. Uh. Eddie, Alex, Wolfgang, and Dave walked to the front of the stage and took a final bow. It was perfect. Finishing the show with the band's biggest hit, a song that of Eddie's creation, in which he broke the mold. The tour basically ended where the Van Halen musical story began, and it featured, as we said, an unusually sentimental moment from David Lee Roth. In retrospect, maybe everybody knew it was over. Van Halen had played its last concert. Eddie continued to battle failing health. In a recent interview with Howard Stern, Wolfgang said in 2017, 
his father was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and was given and was given six weeks to live. Eddie sought treatment in Germany, which Wolfgang credits with extending his life. For a while, Eddie was actually doing better, so much so that he and Wolfgang discussed what would have been called, quote, the kitchen sink tour. <laughs> that would have featured Wolfgang's band as the opening act, followed by Van Halen with David Lee Roth, Sammy Hagar, Gary Sharon, and Michael Anthony, all in tow. To which I can only say, take my damn money. Oh yeah, um, any day. Here's oh. my here here's my account and routing number. Hoover as much out as you want. <laughs> and do whatever you want. Just I need to be there. I need to be there. I saw Van Halen with Sammy. Never saw him with Dave. To if I could have seen them with both in tow, that would have been unbelievable. And and since Eddie's passing, Sammy talked about this. He said he said yeah, I, I was down for it. I was ready. He said now despite I would have done it despite the fact that Dave isn't quote user friendly. <laughs> and we would have to have arranged something like we do two of my songs then i leave the stage he comes out they do two two of his songs and i come back or whatever yeah cause they, they because they couldn't be in a room together right that, no and there was a, a huge bone of contention about who would open and who would close when the two of them did their tour together back in the early 2000s but this was a very real thing quote that was real and we were so excited about it, all of us, Wolfgang said in a story past, uh, posted by Ultimate Classic Rock. Unfortunately, obviously, that never happened. There was public speculation about Eddie's health as he mostly disappeared from the public eye. In October of 2019, though, he and Wolfie did attend a Tool concert in Los Angeles. Quite famously, a Tool fan approached the two and asked for a picture, then handed Eddie Van Halen his phone and asked him to snap an image of him standing in front of Tool's stage <laughs> completely unaware of who he had asked to take the picture that's funny oh my gosh wolfgang posted that entire thing on instagram and it's really and i think it's still up and you can find it it's really funny that is funny oh, that's great eddie's inner circle did not discuss his health but there was a cue from rolf if you read between the lines that something was up and discussing his upcoming vegas residency which of course has been interrupted by the pandemic he said, quote, I think Van Halen's finished. Van Halen isn't going to be coming back in the fashion that you know. And that being said, Eddie's got his own story to tell. It's not mine to tell it. That same year following a motorcycle accident, Eddie learned that he had developed a brain tumor. The issues kept piling up and Wolfgang put work on a solo album aside so he could spend as much time as possible with his dad. During that time, he played Eddie the song that would later be his debut single, that being Distance. Quote, as my pop continued to struggle with various health issues, I was imagining what my life would be like without him and how terribly I'd miss him. He heard the idea. I played it for him and everything. Just me and him. We cried. It was hard. It was hard to sing it and play it through. As word quietly spread among those who knew Eddie that things weren't going well, there were a lot of reconciliations taking place. Ted Templeman stayed in touch, as did Don Landy. Templeman said the two of them would call Eddie when he was in the hospital at Cedars and try to make him laugh. But he then heartbreakingly added in a Rolling Stone story, quote, then it got to where they took him home and stuff that I don't want to talk about. The misery he was going through is really hard to relate to or think about, so I've blocked it out. In January of last year, comedian George Lopez, a mutual friend of Eddie and Sammy, made a fateful phone call. Quote, Sammy, I need you to call Eddie, he said. He's not doing good. He loves you, brother. Sammy had reached out at times over the years, leaving messages with Alex to have Eddie call him, having called Eddie's manager 
and having wished him a happy birthday on social media. But he'd lost Eddie's actual phone number. Lopez gave Sammy Eddie's number. He called him, and Eddie answered the phone by saying, quote, what took you so long? <laughs> Sammy said that he'd reached out, and Eddie laughed, quote, yeah, but you didn't effing call me. Quote, it was just one big love fest from then on, Hagar said. They texted and talked regularly, and Sammy said, quote, if I wouldn't have contacted Ed, and we buried the hatchet like that and became friends again, I'm not sure how I could have taken it. It would have been devastating. Sammy agreed not to publicly speak about their reconciliation since that would fuel rumors either of a reunion tour, which was obviously not going to happen at this point, or lead to speculation about Eddie's health. And Eddie didn't want people talking or speculating about his health. When he first got cancer, he said that he didn't understand why people cared. It's almost like he didn't realize how many people loved him yes. and, and idolized him. Like literally, he said, "Like, I, like, why do people care? I don't understand this. I don't get it. Why, why do people, why do people care what what my health condition is? Why do they can care that I'm in the hospital?" By the end of the summer, though, unfortunately, Eddie stopped responding to Sammy's texts. In late September, Sammy reached out one more time, and quote, "When he didn't respond, I figured it was just a matter of time." On the morning of October 6, 2020, Eddie Van Halen was surrounded by a small group that included his brother Alex, his son Wolfgang his wife, Janie, and his ex-wife, Valerie Bertinelli, in a hospital bed in St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica. At 10.14 a.m. Pacific time, after more than 50 years of amazing music and beautifully loud noise, there was silence. Eddie died of multiple ailments, including a stroke, pneumonia, and cancer. He was 65 years old. He was cremated and requested that his ashes be scattered in the Pacific Ocean near Malibu. Wolfgang Van Halen announced the news via Instagram, quote, I can't believe I'm having to write this, but my father, Edward Ludwig Van Halen, has lost his long and arduous battle with cancer this morning. He was the best father I could ever ask for. Every moment I've shared with him on and off the stage was a gift. Uh, Bertinelli actually posted a picture of she, Eddie, and Wolfgang when Wolfgang was a baby with the message, quote, 40 years ago, my life changed forever when I met you. You gave me the one true light in my life, our son Wolfgang. Through all your challenging treatments for lung cancer, you kept your gorgeous spirit and that impish grin. I'm so grateful Wolfie and I were able to hold you in your last moments. I will see you in our next life, my love. Roth simply posted a picture of he and Eddie with the simple message, what a long, great trip it's been. Sammy and Michael Anthony were actually preparing for Hagar's annual birthday bash on Catalina Island instead of the normal site of Cabo San Lucas because of COVID-19. And we're preparing to do a pay-per-view concert on the beach to fans watching spread out in the sand and from boats because of the pandemic. They posted a short video sending their love to the Van Halen family. Michael Anthony had tears in his eyes. He and Eddie had sadly not reconciled. Their bandmate in the band The Circle, Jason Bonham, said that both Sammy and Michael were devastated. And with Anthony, quote, I could really tell. The next night during the show, they asked for a moment of silence before playing right now. And Sammy said the silence was eerie with even the seagulls seeming to stop squawking. And I'm going to tell you, you can find it online, and he's not, he's not joking. It, it's like you can't hear, the, you can't hear the, the ocean break. You can't hear birds squawking. Once the like, one drunk guy realizes I'm not supposed to be talking, and he quits. <laughs> it, is, it is an eerie silence. And as they, go, as they go into right now, they both throw up the Van Halen symbol, which was pretty awesome. Cool. Obviously, the tributes poured in of, of once the news got around. John Fogarty said, quote, I stood in awe and complete wonderment of Eddie's immense talent 
an amazing guitar ability, one of the greatest rockers ever, and I will miss him. Dr. Brian May said, quote, completely gutted to hear the sad news. This wonderful man was way too young to be taken. What a talent. What a legacy. Probably the most amazing and dazzling rock guitarist in history. I think of him as a boy, an innocent prodigy, always full of joy, always modest, and those truly magical fingers opened up a door to a new kind of playing. I treasure the moments we shared. His passing leaves a giant hole in my heart. Steve Vai said, quote, let's take a minute and try to imagine our world if he never showed up. It's unthinkable. Thank you, King Edward. You're deeply loved and will be missed. Country artist Jason Isbell actually quote tweeted Wolfgang's announcement with the message, quote, so happy to know he was a great father to you, Wolf. When I was a kid, I literally worshipped the man. Honestly, I don't think I ever stopped. Tenacious D uh, tweeted, quote, farewell, goat. See you on the other side. Nikki Six called him, quote, the Mozart of rock music, and Sebastian Bach tweeted, quote, Eddie Van Halen and Neil Peart were just too good for 2020. We all are. My heart is broken. Wolfgang announced a month later that Van Halen was no more, saying that the band could not exist without his father. He said he may rework a Van Halen song or two here and there in the future for concerts, but would abide by his father's wishes of him pursuing his own music and not, quote, playing my old shit. <laughs> he said eventually he and Alex will start the arduous and painstaking process of going through the gigantic cache of music that his father left in the 5150 vault. I want to make it a point to not end every episode that I do anymore with a person dying, so I wanted to include this. When Van Halen had its first headlining tour back in the very night, early 1980s, they played a triumphant, sold-out hometown gig at the LA Forum. At one point, Eddie looked to the side of the stage and he saw his father, Jan, weeping. He was proudly watching his two sons live their dream and his. It was about music, family bonds, and the love of father and son. Of course, the father and sons appeared together on one Van Halen album with Jan playing clarinet on Big Bad Bill's Sweet William Now. After Eddie's passing, Wolfgang's band, Mammoth, a name borrowed from the early name of his father's band, released the song Wolfgang Played for His Ill Father, Distance. The video features pictures and home movies of father and son. It closes with a voicemail that Eddie left Wolfgang, which says, quote, I'm so happy to have you as my son and so proud of you. I love you so much. Call me if you get a chance. I just want to hear your voice. I love you. Bye. And of course, the two did get to appear together on one album. It was about music, family bonds, and the love of father and son. And that's all I got. Thanks for making me feel really sad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a sad ending. Yeah. You can you can hear yeah, you hear that voicemail, it does tug at the heartstrings. Especially because that wasn't released until after Eddie passed. Exactly. So yeah. if you see if you see that video and it's basically just all these pictures and home movies of, of Eddie and Wolfie. And then and the very end is a voicemail that Eddie left Wolfie. I'm not sure when, but that's the last thing you hear and it, it gets you right in the guts. <laughs> it really does. Okay, so I want a little bit of housekeeping before we get to our final Van Halen discussion point. So I've gone back and listened to all the episodes we've done so far. A couple of things I want to point out. Um, first of all, for starters, LD, in our second episode, we played Push Comes to Shove, and you said it sounded like Don Henley. And I have to confess, I honestly did not know what in the hell you were talking about. <laughs> but, but having gone back and re-listened to it, I do think the drum intro sounds very similar to the one on Sunset Grill. Huh. So I don't know if that's what you picked up on or what, but I, but once once I listened to that, I was like, hey, you know what? I kind of hear that now. Well, thank you for that. 
I really think that that song sounds like one of the slower, bluesier songs by either Boz Skaggs or Delbert McClinton, having listened to it several times now. Upon reflection in my ranking of albums, I think I would shift the order of 7, 8, and 9, where I had OU812, Balance, and Fair Warning. But I think that that is perhaps contingent on what day I'm listening to them and what kind of mood I'm in, maybe. I don't know why, but I... But I put like OU8127, Balance 8, and Fair Warning 9, and like I would like now like totally mix them up. But if you ask me tomorrow, I might would leave them where they are or move them around in a different order or something. Those were really hard to rank for some reason. There was a definitive lower tier and top tier. The middle tier, I don't know about you, Will, that was the one that was hardest for me to rank. Yeah, I feel like the, you know, the last three are obvious. The top three are obvious. The middle is just kind of a mess. Right. And then a couple of minor corrections. In part two, my mouth got way out in front of my brain. And I said that, well, in part one, we talked about their early life in Denmark. They're not from Denmark, <laughs> obviously. They're, they're from Amsterdam. So I did want to make that correction. So I, I guess as we're wrapping up here, just some thoughts, guys, from, from what we've heard of these four episodes about Eddie. Uh, shall I go first? Please. Sure. Since I'm the I'm the the noob, the novice. Other than Big Bad Bill Sweet William now is on your forever playlist. Yes. Uh okay. So you, that song gave you so much delight. Oh my god, it just made me so happy. It just it, it it lit me up. I I moved. I did things. It was great. I have never sat down and listened to other than balance a Van Halen album from start to finish. And I certainly okay. haven't absorbed myself in their entire catalog. But we have recorded this series in a very short amount of time, about a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I've heard more Van Halen in that time than I think I ever have in my life. And it is really interesting because now I can see, having crammed all this Van Halen in my face in such a short amount of time, just how not only insanely talented, which I knew Van Halen was, or Eddie was, but how versatile and how, how like the range of their music was like they were doing like these little jaunty tunes from the 20s and then you know they've got this 2015 sound and I have such a, a great appreciation for what they produced in those 40 years of music than I think a, a normal passerby that wasn't already completely obsessed with Van Halen would be so thank you for this because I, I realize how awesome they are but you also like, as a casual observer, you don't realize the work that Eddie's actually putting into it. And I think now knowing his techniques and knowing that he was building these guitars on his own, I even have more of a, an appreciation for not only his sound, but for the man himself. Sure. Well, no, you and I came into this as big fans. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, you know, LD was kind of a newbie. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that she dug a lot of what we played. But just kind of as you look back on the life of Eddie and except the legacy for, he leaves. Except for Push Comes to Shove. That song sucks. <laughs> I hate it. Well, well, the other day, though, LD, you brought up something about Alex. You were like, Alex was really Alex good. Alex is incredible. Yeah, he like, is. I feel like he doesn't get enough uh, enough credit as the drummer, but this isn't. This isn't oh, uh, 100% agreed. A Alex is a fantastic drummer. I would actually put him probably in the pantheon of my top five favorite drummers at this he's point. A, he, he's, a, he's one of my favorite. He really is. And, and just he continued to just get better and better and better as time went along. I mean, my top baby angel, of course, is Roger. 
Like he's going to, no. Roger Taylor is always going to be my, my sweetheart, uh, followed by Keith Moon. And then, you know, everyone else can fall in line behind <laughs> the two of them. But, but anyway, Will, just, just as it, it, we've listened to a lot of Van Halen, we've talked a lot about his life, anything that sticks out. Uh, just the idea that they've been there for so much of my life, in many ways, it's almost like I forgot they were there and was reminded of it. Going back and revisiting the catalog, you know, it's really interesting how what an artist records at a certain period is sort of emblematic of who they are. And then mm -hmm. as your career progresses, you catch these differences because they change, you know, their lives change, their musical approach changes. And I think that's really obvious with Van Halen, you know, as you go into... There is, yeah, the, the Hagar Roth era and then the album of which we shall not speak. There is a notable... We'll refer to that as the George Lazenby. It's kind of the George Lazenby of the, the catalog of who they were at that time and just going back to that and thinking of who, who was I at that time? You know, the kid who bought 5150 on cassette. It's really interesting when I think about that. When I, I didn't bring this up earlier, but the Van Halen Double Live, the Right Here, Right Now, which yep. will submit to you is one of the best live albums ever done. I borrowed it so much from my sister that she bought me a copy. It was like, here, now you don't have to take mine. <laughs> so it just sort of reminded me again who I was at that time and who they were and realizing, hey, I grew up with this band. You know, they were in my life. Same. I'm four, four and a half years older than both of you, but I, I think their first album came out the year before the two of you were born. The band were in Is a that correct? Van Halen. Oh, Van Halen, yeah. That came out a year before we were born. Yeah. Both of you. So literally, Van Halen was there your entire life. Yep. Uh, they're there for my entire music listening life. I remember eagerly waiting, but because it took, we talked about it in the first episode. LD and I listened basically to what our mom wanted to listen to when we were young. The first Van Halen, I really, I, I heard, I know I'd heard Jump and I'd heard Dance Night Away and probably um, You Really Got Me. The first new Van Halen music I heard would have been off OU812 in about 88, 89. And then my cousin got, we were both in the BMG Music Club where you got like 78,000 CDs for two and a half cents or something. Yeah, How much do you owe them? Do you still probably, probably a lot. If I, I'll, I'll thank you to not say that out loud again. <laughs> there, may, there may be attorneys. Or, or give them an indication of where they can find me. But but he had gotten Van Halen 1. And, and as, as we opened this entire series with, we're sitting in his, in his pickup truck, and he's like, have you ever heard this? No. And he pops it in and plays Eruption. And my face almost melted off. I was like, holy crap. Oh, my God. What? what like, how did he even make the, the guitar make that noise? That's unbelievable. And then we listened to Ice Cream Man and Atomic Punk and I'm the One and all these other songs. It, it just blew my mind. So I, I was... I had kind of, I started gravitating toward them. This is my band. This is who I'm going to follow. I'm going to be a Van Halen person. I was waiting for For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge when it came out. Mm. I went the day it hit the stores and bought it. And and I want to say probably the same with Right Here, Right Now Live, same with Balance. And and I've listened to Van Halen 1. You're, you're not quantifying it in terms of hours. You're quantifying it in terms of how many days of my life I've spent listening to that. It's a lot. And, and you're right, Well, that's that's a good way to look at it. I can think about, well, I, you know, I, I, when I was listening to For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, I was a junior in high school. And then I was, you know, dating this girl and I had this job and then I went to college and then this happened and that happened. And it's almost like you can use it to like track moments in your life, sort of. Yeah, absolutely. They've always been there. And it, it's, it, it's the, the legacy is huge. It's not a gigantic catalog. I think it's, it's 12 studio albums. I'd like to pretend one doesn't exist. So I'm going to say 11. 
<laughs> um, but just go back and if you haven't, listen to those, enjoy them, and realize just the wealth of amazing music that we were left. I was lucky enough to go see them in concert one time back in 1993 on the Right Here, Right Now live tour, and that was one of the, the, the highlights of my life. It was amazing. It was everything I'd ever hoped it could have been. They are one of the best rock bands that there's ever been. I, I don't know another way to put it. And you start ranking great American rock bands, if you don't have them competing for, for first place with Aerosmith and the Eagles and the Allman Brothers, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying you're bad and that I don't want to ever meet you. <laughs> but the other thing is, just real quick, because we do have one last little argument point we're going to get to, the influence that Eddie had. If you think about the heavy metal that came before Van Halen, Sabbath, Zeppelin, Deep Purple, people like that, they played fast occasionally, but heavy metal riffs were much slower, heavier. They were... You know, they they were they were these these big, heavy, deep riffs. You know, think about Sabbath, think about War Pigs or Iron Man or whatever. Well, after Van Halen one came out, there was a change. Heavy metal got fast. People didn't want to play big, slow, heavy riffs. They wanted to tap and and fly through notes at the speed of light, like Eddie. So was less doing. like Iron Man and more like. Anything that Van Halen like had. like eruption, yeah. And you think about will the the heavy metal that was to come, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Pantera. What all of them have in common? Play fast. fast. Yep. They play fast. Why do they play fast? Because of Eddie Van Halen. Because every one of them heard that first Van Halen album and it blew their mind, and they were like, "Okay, I want to do that. That's what I want to play." I would also say that they set the standard in rock and roll probably for over the top high concept crazy videos see hot for teacher where you know there was a 13 year old who was drunk on set because he was drinking malt liquor with alex (laughs) 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 which is i wish i'd been 13 then and could have been in that video with them the stage annex the the you know the flying the literal flying above the stage with the harnesses that they would do and they had a freaking tank people that they were going to crush a VW bug with the parachuting thing, which wasn't actually them, but the people in the stadium thought it was, but then the drinking Jack Daniels on stage and snorting cocaine on stage, there were bands who would pretend to drink that Jack Daniels on stage, but it was tea in Jack Daniels bottles, but they did it because Van Halen did it, but he was, they were influential in terms of their sound in terms of the show in terms of the instruments that they played, in terms of their appearance, everything about them would be ripped off essentially by, by bands for years and years and years and years and years to come. For that reason, well, I, I don't think it's a reach to say that Eddie is one of the most influential musicians who's ever lived. Not at all. I agree. Yep. Yeah. So having said all that now, in each episode, us figuring that Van Halen is the ultimate drunk guys argue about them band, We've, we've had a little discussion point, a ranking, a debate, whatever you want to call it. In part one, we ranked Van Halen's albums. Part two, we did most underrated songs. Part three, we got out the mouthpieces and the cups and punched each other in the face <laughs> doing the uh, Sammy versus Eddie. And this one, this one is going to be almost as hard as the last one, I, I would say, Will, as we do the top 10 Eddie Van Halen solos or instrumentals. Got it. This is, this is going to be a really, really tough one. So we can kind of trade these back and forth, I guess, like we did the albums. Sure. I intentionally, now we have not seen each other's lists. I intentionally picked some kind of off, uh, slightly off the beaten path ones, I think, for the most part. 
Um, so I, 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 I'm suspecting we won't have a lot of repeats uh, as we do this. We, we might. We'll see. We, we might. Okay. And now, if All I remember right. correctly, eruption was specifically excluded, correct? Yes, I need to make that caveat. This is top 10 Eddie Van Halen solos or instrumentals not named Eruption. Yeah, because Eruption was... Because otherwise, Eruption would be number one. <laughs> oh, without question. There's no On anybody's that. list, including both of ours. So we just, we just kind of like are acknowledging like, yes, Eruption is number one and it stands unto itself. So other than that, mm -hmm. I guess is what we're saying. I think it's fair. So I didn't necessarily write mine in order other than about the top two, but I did have 10. And I guess we'll just kind of trade these back and forth. What, what did you uh, start off with? Well, I, I had this perhaps lower than I wanted to, but I, I got to get, I, I pretty much went with an instrumental first. And that was, it's not very guitar heavy, but I think it's really good for the album. And that is 1984 off 1984. Okay. I think it's just a great way to open the album. Again, it's not guitar driven, but it really just drives that point home. And I'm, and and the, the funny thing is, is we didn't say it had to be a guitar solo no, or instrument. So that it, it, it could be anything. And that that's that's all keyboard. And I saw one you know reviewer that famously said that it, it, it sounds like that's the sound of Optimus Prime vomiting. But it's a cool intro to 1984. It serves as, a, as sort of the gateway to like, OK, here we go, guys. And I then, think it sets it up perfectly. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so my number 10 is actually a little bit of an obscure one at this point. Uh, uh, this one is off Women and Children First, Torah Torah. Really? The, this instrumental was originally called Act Like It Hurts. It has two distinct parts. The first is actually music that Eddie recorded and then played backward. Okay. And then it kicks into the heaviest, slowest, most metal-esque riff in the entire Van Halen catalog. It sounds straight out of Black Sabbath's War Pigs to me, of course, when uh, Van Halen was a cover band they played a lot of sabbath they opened for sabbath on their first ever tour the band would use the second half that i'm talking about this big riff in concerts to lead into the song loss of control if you're not familiar with it pull it up and listen to it it's it's, it's really really cool uh torah torah is what i start off with good choice okay excellent uh, and again these are in no particular order i kind of ping pong back and forth between solos and instrumentals yep um i think one of the i, I gotta put the solo from ain't talking about love on there that is oh yeah such a good solo it's it's, it's there's there's two of them and they're both just unbelievable yeah just the way it comes oh it's so good yeah my next one is cathedral i have that on my list as well this, this is from diver down this is played on Eddie's 1961 fender stratocaster using echo and chorus effects to get the sound he furiously tapped on the fretboard with one hand while turning the volume knob on and off with the other. He did two takes and the volume knob froze completely at the end of the second take from overheating. <laughs> David Lee Roth heard it and said, quote, name it something churchy and it will work. Eddie said it sounded like a Catholic church organ and hence the name. And and to me, this one is kind of an important one because this shows that Eddie, A, he was a, he was a, a phenomenal guitar player. One, one of the best that's ever picked the instrument up in the history of the planet. But he did things like this where he played with volume knobs and he would play with work. He would do things to work sounds out of a guitar that nobody had ever heard before. And he just thought, well, what happens if I tapped on... I tap on this fret and I do this and I just cut the, the volume on and off and on and off and on and off. And it makes that, that sound that it does sound like an organ. Consider that checked in on my list as well. I had cathedral too. So, okay. 
Perfect. I'm going to go to a, another instrumental now. This one, I think, gets lost a little bit because of the album it's on. And I'm not sure about how you pronounce it, but it's the, to the best of my knowledge, the only instrumental. No, there's two instrumentals on balance, if I'm not mistaken. There's the intro, and then there's this one, which is, what is well, it, Balagitorium? It, it, it's named, I don't even know how to say it. It's named after, I think, the largest animal to ever walk on the earth or something like that. Balagitorium or something, yeah. I, something like that. It, uh, and and that, that is an inspired pick. I, when we discussed it in our album rankings, mm-hmm. I said, hey, you know, the, 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 um, the instrumentals on this one just kind of lay there. They don't do anything for me. They don't set up the songs that come after them. And I'd forgotten about that one because I went back and listened to that afterward. That is, that's a really good one. It's a, it's a kick-ass instrumental. I, I like it a lot. I, I agree with you. You're a really, really good one, even though neither of us can pronounce it. Yeah. Up next, I have 316. Yep, that's on my um, list. No. Yep. Yeah, and this is just a beautiful little guitar piece about a father's love for a son featured on Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. This is a song that Eddie played in utero for Wolfgang. Yeah, I, I'm putting that on pre- pre- With his guitar pressed against Valerie's belly. Yep, that's on mine too. Great little sweet instrumental. Love it. Uh, I got a couple of solos on here too. Okay. I I gotta go back to Ice Cream Man. I think, oh man, that's so good. Again, I know it's it's a cover, and I know most of the appeal of that song is the blatant innuendo and the way Dave delivers it. I mean, sure. It's it, it. I don't think it would have worked with Sammy singing it. You know, I won't often say that, but Dave delivering that material just works. But how good is the guitar? It's just incredible. So I, I gotta put it on there. I gotta put that. It on that that's that's a that, that inspired choice, sir. Big, I'm a huge fan of that one. Okay, I'm going to go with I'm the One. Oh. Um, now, this song has actually has two distinct solos. The second, and, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm taking this straight from loudersound.com because I am a nimrod when it comes to music right. in terms of explaining what people are doing. I can't read or write music, sing, or play any instruments. So I'm ripping this straight from a, a source. Because if I didn't, otherwise this this whole list would just be a, a series of me saying, well, why do you like that one? Because it's badass. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Over yeah. and over and over. But anyway, that louder sound said, quote, the solo builds intensity through a series of ascending phrases and blues licks over a key change. It's interrupted by the band then knocking out a doo-woppish interlude, and then it just kicks right back into overdrive or hyperdrive. That's a, the thing about some of those the things with early Dave that I talked about a minute ago. That some of the whimsy and the that they would approach things with that they would. I'm the I'm the one is one of the most fierce songs you'll ever hear. But they just break up in the middle and go ba ba da shuba doo wah. It's a great breakdown. And they do the little breakdown, or that they would do big bad bill or they do happy trails or whatever that's that's one of the things i think is kind of endearing about that that era of them but anyway i i love i'm the one's one of my favorite songs off the first album and the both solos are killer but the second one in particular i'm, I'm gonna put on my list that's fair uh speaking of the solo vein i am gonna pull up this one comes from again an album we were not overtly fans of but i think it might be beginning to grow on me it might be uh little guitars mm. yep which, of course, comes from the Diver Down, which has LD's favorite song, your new favorite Van Halen song. I love that song. <laughs> but so good. Little, little Guitars, just, I, I think, just a great... Uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's fantastic. Well, Even that little intro section. The, the intro is great, and the song is great. I love both of those. I just, I keep going back to, man, if, if Warner Brothers had given them a little time on that one and let them work it out so that they didn't have to cover, do five covers and 
couple of instrumentals. I would love to have heard what that album could have been. It could have been interesting, yeah. But yeah, I, it would have been interesting. Because, the intro and the song one pick, so because the four songs that they wrote that that were new songs that they actually wrote for are all really really good. Agreed. Because that's what Hang 'Em High, Secrets, The Full Bug, and Little Guitars. They're they're all terrific songs mm-hmm. that I really like. Yeah, and then there are the um, covers thrown in there to fill it out. Okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit on my next one. I'm going to go with Main Street, but I'm not using the actual solo from Main Street. I'm going to use the intro. It's a great intro. First of all, I think there's that Main Street is a hidden guitar gem on the Fair Warning album. Well, the riff is awesome. <laughs> but yeah, It is, and Eddie would usually use the intro to this song as part of his long-form guitar solos in concert. He did when I went and saw him. The intro is inspired by slap bass techniques. And if you've ever seen him play it, it looks like he's playing slap bass on his guitar. Because mm-hmm. it starts off with that, and that's apparently the second most copied technique of his, tapping being the first. Yeah. But, but of that uh, intro, he said, quote, I tapped the 12th fret on the low E and the 12th fret on the high E and muffled both with my hand down by the nut. Eddie said uh, in a post by the Van Halen news desk. He then seems to alternate that and tapping before rolling into the main riff of the song. But the sound that it that it gives is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It, it's and it's just something I've never heard anybody else ever do. And it's just amazing that he would sit there and and toy with his guitar to such an extent that he would go, "Well, I wonder what happened if I played this." guitar like a slap bass you know well, and if i would i would tap if i tap the 12th fret on the low e and the 12th fret on the high e and i muffle it with my hand and i do and it's like i don't even know what you're talking about but it sounds awesome yeah but it's, it's completely bonkers again who would yeah. do that? all right so we're down to the final three now now i'm going to give you the one solo because then to finish off the list i have my these are listed as my favorites my favorite individual guitar solo by D. Van halen followed by my okay. favorite instrumental Okay, so just before these, we have one more pick, and I'm giving it to a solo, and that is Eddie's tapping in Panama. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, and I'll actually go ahead and tell you that that is one that I had on my list. Absolutely. I'll go ahead and mark it off. Yeah. I mean, the theme of the song is quite overt, in my opinion. Um, right. It's about, a, it's about a car, plausibly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not, not. not really. Yeah, not exactly. But the double tap on that is just, it's outstanding. It's one of the most remarkable solos. Like, you hear that and you're like, that's Eddie Van Halen doing what Eddie Van Halen does. Yeah. My next one is Dreams. Oh, wow. This is a little off, off the beaten path. Eddie said he was more song-oriented and less concerned with playing crazy fast and being a gunslinger by this point. But it's hard to figure if that if you hear this solo. Reviews say it shows studied restra- uh, restraint, but it soars to me as high as Sammy's voice does on the song. It bounces across the sky, totally sticks to landing, and then kicks you square in the sack. And I love it. So I'm going to give my my both picks here, if that's all right. I have my favorite Eddie Van Halen solo of all time and my favorite instrumental that is not entitled Eruption. Okay. Uh, Best solo of all time. I'm putting this Eddie Van Halen's greatest masterwork. It's his solo in Hot for Teacher. That is... That that's I had that on my I, I had that on my list too. That, that is, is a master. That's fair. That's that's fair. And just that image of him in the video walking up through the the students, just playing it like he's breathing. Is that that image will always live in my head. When I picture Van Halen, that's what I see. I see. Me, me too. And the and the and the great yeah. thing about that one, Will, yeah. is that it shows that he didn't have to use the two handed tapping to spin off 
these clean sounding notes at a lightning pace. No, he was picking. That was the amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's, and it's, and the, other, the other funny thing about that one, he says that he, quote, winged it. Which I believe. And I he believe. notes that the timing, the timing changes about midway through it. Mm-hmm. And that he plays 32 bars. 32. <laughs> and apparently that there was a little bit of, one of the things that he and Alex would apparently argue and fight about a little bit was timing. Because Alex is the drummer. He wants to play on time. I'm keeping time. Eddie says that he paid no attention to time. None. He t- played completely by feel, and, and including all that solo. I, but I agree with you. That's, that's note for note about one of my favorites I've had I, ever by anybody. Yeah. Again, not entitled eruption, of course. Right. <laughs> I, I'm going to throw uh, somebody get me a doctor in there. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. I love the stops and the starts. Rolling Stone describes it as, quote, the guitarist's volume swells, swaggering blues runs, and harmonic flurries are only slightly more thrilling than the spectacular swing and power with which the rhythm section supports him. And, and that's 100% accurate because Michael Anthony and Alex are dead on the nuts on that one. Yeah, they're amazing. I forgot about that one. What, what is this newfound obsession with testicles, TJ? You've mentioned them a lot in this episode. I would also throw Running with the Devil on there. That is a good solo too, yeah. Because he, he shows that he can do a lot more than just play notes a million miles an hour. There's some pacing in that one. It almost sounds like a pained squeal at the conclusion. And the whole thing actually has a sound that is a little bit ominous and evil to me that yeah. matches the, the tone of the song. And he gets a little more mileage out of each note. Again, there's a little more staying on that one tone before he gets the next one, yeah. yeah. And, 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 my, and my number one is Spanish Fly. Yeah, I, you can't debate it. If, if you're taking Eruption off the table, even if Eruption's on the table, the acoustic work is just beyond anything else that's... I don't know who else could pull that off. And a couple of honorable mentions I'll, I'll throw out his, because neither one of us included this on our list, his solo of on Beat It. <laughs> I, you which, know what? I considered putting it on there, but I wanted to stay within the Van Halen. I, I kind of did, too. It's a great I'll, solo. It's a great I actually one. really love the solo in Beautiful Girls. Oh, that's a great one, yeah. Top of the World. Top of the World is a great is a, song. It's a great one. That's one of the only songs where he uses a wah-wah pedal. Yeah, he does in uh, A Different Kind of Truth on a couple songs, too. Uh, on a couple of songs, too. I actually like the solo in The Dream is Over. I think that one's really good. And I'm going to encourage everybody, if you have never heard it, it's on YouTube. Look up Eddie Van Halen and Brian May, a, a song called Blues Breaker. And take your pick of any riff in that 12 minutes of those two masters just trading blues licks back and forth because it's it's unbelievable. There's no way they could do bad. I mean, it's impossible. Yeah. Did you hear my joke, Travis? No. I said, no, he did beat it. He said he can't do bad. And I said, no, he did beat it. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> uh. I'm Johnny cashing you right now. Yep, I see that. But anyway, I guess... We've uh, reached the, the end of a, a month on one of the greats of all times, a, a favorite of mine and Will's, and I think somebody who's growing on LD. And, um, and, and very sincerely, we hope you, you guys enjoyed this, put a lot into it. We want to thank, as, as somebody who we should probably just acknowledge in every episode, is <laughs> Penelope. She, she drew us a picture of Eddie and sent it to us. And, and she apparently is one of those people that makes me sick in that she's both musically talented, but can also uh, draw. So she's yeah, yes. 
They, you, you talented people just make me want to puke. <laughs> yeah, and you I people, will... you people with your multi talents. Yeah, yeah, they do exist. So, and it, and it sucks actually. Our friend Asia used to get so mad at Hal Sparks because, and for those who don't know who Hal Sparks is, he did Talk Soup. He was the host of Talk Soup. Right. And he was in Spider Man and he was in Queer as Folk. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of movies and stuff. But then she found out he had a band and we went to go see him in that band. And she was irrationally pissed off because she's like, well, it's not it's not fair that you get that you could you could not only be a good actor and kinda halfway decent looking and 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 then be be that musically talented and well that that's like i remember somebody i don't remember who it was expressing similar anger that vince gill is apparently a scratch golfer what's a scratch golfer that that means he can shoot basically he shoots par perfect yeah oh, okay not perfect so it's like it's like okay so you have that voice and those guitar skills and you're good at golf you suck i just go with my old standby chris christopherson yep <laughs> Like, yeah, you're well, good I mean, at everything. You're good at everything, and I hate you. We we do not hate. But Penelope is awesome, and Penelope. the picture she drew of the picture she drew in sent us of Eddie apparently just while listening to part one of this episode I, I blew my mind. It is so it is so great. Well, she drew it after the picture, the photo we posted. Yes, right? I yeah. think I think she saw the picture that we posted on Instagram, and that yeah. picture. So if you go back and look on Instagram, our first episode is the picture of him like splayed out with the guitar. And that's and what he's play, doing. Playing the Frankenstrap, yeah. So what we're going to be doing is reaching out to her to see if we can't post that on Instagram. I just want to clear that with her first because sure. she is incredible in so many ways. So ta- like, She's so talented. Have, so stinking talented. We have our, our we have a, a group of, you know, fans that are so incredible and incredibly talented. And we're just so blessed and, to have you guys. Like, and, and she mentioned uh, uh, at some point that she's apparently a huge metallica fan so we're, we're gonna have to do an episode on cliff burton just for for our friend penelope at some point absolutely yep yeah anyway uh, we do have one more song we're gonna play but uh, i guess ld's gonna wrap stuff up with our socials and everything and uh we'll just thank everybody for listening and if you uh, have any feedback on any of the four parts you can hit us up at if you think that we're doing a really good job and you'd like to be a patreon of the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast, you can do that. We would like to thank our newest Patreon. Christine, yes. Christine. Thank you, Christine. We love you, Christine. Yeah, Christine, Christine, we actually stumbled upon during our Doug Hopkins episode, and she has become our newest uh, patron, and we really thank her for that. Thank you. And because of our episode, I won't say because of our episode, I will say since our episode, we have found out through an Instagram uh, posting, there is a page on Instagram called Remembering Doug Hopkins. They actually uh, re-Instagrammed our posting about Doug. And through them, I actually started following him. And through them, I actually found out that there will be a film about Doug Hopkins' life. Which is awesome. Oh, wow. Which so awesome. uh, it's, there, there's an article apparently called Beauty and the Tragedy Jim Blossoms, the founder Doug Hopkins' story will be told in a film is the name of the article. And uh, we are really, really excited. And uh, I will definitely at least be streaming it if we can't go to the actual theaters <laughs> as soon as that's out. So just wanted to give you awesome. guys a little bit of an update on, on a past story that we did. So it's very rare that we actually get to do updates, but I was really excited to share that one. Oh, oh I have actually one one update I want to throw out real quick. Yeah. An update to the 
episode I finished talking about like two minutes ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nancy Wilson of Heart has a solo album coming out, and there's a song on there dedicated to Eddie Van Halen. Oh wow! That's and awesome. I think I think the song is actually called either for Edward or for Eddie. It's an instrumental, but uh, that's coming out pretty soon. They toured with Van Halen at one point, and she apparently asked Eddie, like, "Well, why don't you?" play acoustic and he said like eh, well, i actually don't have i have a, an acoustic guitar and she gave him one yeah. and he called her the next the next day in her room and said hey I, I wrote a piece of music on that guitar you gave me and played it and she said it was the most beautiful thing she'd ever heard oh wow I mean, so uh, she actually has put a song on her upcoming uh, album dedicated to him I, I i just i just saw that a little while ago and just to update you on that story that you said will actually made fun of me yesterday for singing a heart song did i what what song? Yeah. I was it too now. Always go by on my own. Do you know why he made fun of you for doing that? Why? Because I wasn't there to do it first. <laughs> uh, Next no. time I'll call you and just be like, hey, can you jump in on Please, this? please do. Yeah. That, that requires a tag team effort. <laughs> All right. So if you would like to be a Patreon supporter, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT. Our Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Facebook Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website, nor have I updated it in like almost two years. Why do we even have it? Yeah, <laughs> kind of collecting dust at, at this, point. this point. If I take it out of the repertoire, there's no way I'm going to remember to do the emailing us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And from that, I would like to say thank you guys so much for checking this episode out. Please check us out next week when we start our series on MC Adam Yauk. Yep. I'm actually very much looking forward to it. Me too. I yelled at Will the other day because he was reading me stuff back and I'm like, Stop telling me this stuff because I want this to be like a genuine reaction when I hear it on the podcast. Oh, there's so much good stuff. I'm, I was excited to get it out there. So yeah, next next week, you're going to love it. Yeah, so uh, thanks, guys. We will check you out next week. Or well, we will and see you next week. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you all and see you next week. Sorry, Glass Tiger, we ran out of time. And we did run out of time. We're sorry, Glass Tiger. Bye, everybody. We are going to go out with uh, our last song, as we always do. Thought hard about which one we were going to play, but this one, two different reviews I read said it's the best pure riff in Eddie's catalog. It was on both of mine and Will's list of favorite solos. It shows off Van Halen's fun side, the whimsy, the good time rock and roll, but also that they're serious musicians that kick ass. And it shows some inventiveness in the fact that what you think is Eddie banging on his guitar is in fact him having brought his Lamborghini into the studio and, and recorded the engine running. We're gonna go out on a, on a high note. Here's Van Halen in Panama. Yes!
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 